Hello there, glad to meet you. Welcome to the world of Eds. My name is Professor Peach. People affectionately refer to me as the Ed Professor. This world is inhabited far and wide by creatures called Eds. For some people, Eds are pets. Others use them for battling. As for myself, I study Eds as a profession. But first, tell me a little about yourself. Are you a boy or a girl? Uh, I'm a boy. I'm, I'm the son of a shepherd. Very, very humble means, but got a lot of ambition, just like a, just like a bowl full of yogurt marinating outside on a hot summer day. Let's begin with your name. What is it? Karstongian. Right, so your name is Karstongian. This is my grandson. He's been your rival since you were both babies. Uh, what was his name again? Uh, it was, uh, Salamander the Milker. That's right, it's Kevin. Dork! Alright, I guess I missed a prompt there. Your very own Ed legend is about to unfold. Let's go! Which Ed would you like as your starter Ed? Let's go with, uh, let's go with this mashed potato Ed boy. Tall one. <laughs> oh boy. That's his battle cry? Ugh. Alright, let's see. Let's look him up in the in the old Ed, Ed decks here. Um, seven feet tall? No, it says five feet tall. No, oh, it looks pretty variable depending on the episode. Okay. Eds gotcha. are very strong, but unfortunately, not very mentally capable. They will obey some orders, but will go into a rage, even unprompted. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure about this. Let's, uh, let's check out the... Uh, let, let's check out the no-neck Ed boy. Eddie is wily and capable. He is known to steal items and money from opposing Eds. Be careful, though, for he might just steal from his trainer. Gosh, that seems like a pretty big drawback. And uh, okay, let's 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 go with uh, let's go with the yakety yak Ed boy. Ed Double D is known for his enhanced intelligence, however negligible battle prowess. Well, I don't want to disappoint my ancestor by picking something with no battle prowess. Eh, let's, let's just go with the mashed potato, Ed boy. Straight and straight and simple. Yeah, I, I, I feel pretty good about this. I think we should probably test him out, though. Let's out of see. the way, dork! This one's mine! Oh. oh, I don't think so. Time for an Ed battle! What, what moves do we what moves do we got here all right looks like we got a gen generic mimic and, and appliance <laughs> and, uh, we're and splash we're just Great. describing the show now <laughs> uh, where did we you just, see this going I, I i figured we would just like put on the pokemon entering battle music and then transition that into the head oh that's fine song. that's fine <laughs> <laughs> so I think that I think that intro works okay. Yeah, that's okay. We'll figure it out. All right, Ben. The fifth time, Ben. <laughs> let's let's let's, that let's set ourselves up first. First of a new year. Let's let's start this the strong. First time that we tried to record it. This was way back. First off, we're the Carton so, Cast. Ben, Zane, you know the drill. Okay, first time, <laughs> <laughs> first time we tried to record an Ed Ed the yet. Lost Ed episode. Ben wanted to start a podcast. 
about cartoons. It's true. I was like, can we do Ed, Ed and Eddie as the first episode? Just because I feel great about it. I love the show. I have what a lot to say. What fools we were. Yeah, we were fools. We're still fools. That will become apparent very soon. <laughs> so, Ben, what was the problem with that episode? Uh, It got blacklisted yeah. for too much. Uh, Corn it, it cobbery. Was, yeah, it was too much hobnobbery and far too many sexual innuendos. No good. Yeah. So um, what actually yeah. happened was the audio was bad even for our early days. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And was, could not go be heard. To, go listen to Darkwing Duck and you get a good barometer of like our lowest point. Several notches below that. Unlistenable. Now, as we rounded the five-year anniversary, the Cartoni Awards, go check out the Cartoni Awards, mm-hmm. um, we, we get hit up by a friend of a friend who's like, hey, I want to talk about Ed and Eddie. I'm like, this is perfect timing. I, I do believe that he did want to talk about it. He did. Yes. You may notice that he's Wanted not. very badly. He's not yeah. here. So this is. Lives on in our hearts. So this is Jeremiah, and unfortunately he couldn't uh, be here today. What happened was uh, we scheduled a, um, a recording session, and I slept through it. <laughs> Zane ditched us in favor of Dreamland. I don't imagine that is the last time it will happen. It was the first time, which is a pretty good track record, but I take responsibility. However, one, one of th- 130 is not so bad. However, however, though, we, then we said, didn't okay, realize what would happen. All right. Next day, let's try it again. Uh, thunderstorms. The third time. Thunderstorms. We tried happened. to record. So, yes. so we get on the horn with him. We chat. We introduce ourselves. We start recording. And we, you know, there's a lot of, there's like thunder and rain in his background. Which, like, that that happens. We've recorded during storms before. That That's fine. Uh, we didn't realize that the storm was also metaphorical. And just caused of our, a, of a our, very... Of the entire experience. <laughs> and it caused a very brief power outage. Um, and so he wasn't sure if it saved any of his, you know, recorded stuff or whatever. So he, he moved to a different room. It was didn't. M- more protected. And we tried a fourth time. And we were doing I, pretty good. I also like want to make it clear that he This is like, not his fault. <laughs> he not not his fault and he also like kind of sacrificed a lot in order to try to talk to us. He was sweating like a madman because he was like, <laughs> in, like a 90 degree <laughs> basement at the time. Yeah, I'm I'm imagining like um like a frazzled Jeff Goldblum at the end of uh, Independence Day. That's pretty close. Like putting putting things together, programming, uploading the virus, but then at the end of the day, it doesn't work. <laughs> Must go faster. Um, so yeah, fourth recording. <laughs> we try. Uh, yes, he was he was on a suboptimal system. Not his fault. It's just the tech yeah. he had available, uh, and it's and it cut after a while. And so we said, okay, send us what you got. Uh, we can see if we can continue this later. Not only did it not properly record his stuff, but the file he sent me was six hours of silence. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny because we were not recording for six hours, so I'm not no. really sure how that happened. Oh, also on the third take, um, he said that the recording software he was using didn't record in seconds or minutes. It was some <laughs> weird non-one-to-one time signature. Like, some quasi-metric nonsense. As we begin our fifth and what, our, what I hope is our final... <laughs> recording of the Ed Ed Nebby episode, 
I'm convinced it's cursed. So if you're listening I'm, to this I'm, and you yes. fall down a pothole, that is our bad. Think, think, drag me to hell. <laughs> you know, like that's that's drag me to dealing. hell. Take me to church. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty much what we're dealing with here. <laughs> it, we're operating under a curse. This is the this is the Carton uh, Cast curse where we cannot talk about one of our favorite shows of all time. Um, I'm not really sure. Like so. If, that, that this is kind of a warning that we might try to go through some stuff kind of quick because we've <laughs> technically talked about a lot of it twice. Twice recently. Twice recently, yes. Uh, <laughs> Third and time it's already that. a pretty confusing show, so, uh, you know, give, like, let, be aware of that. Yeah, and but kudos. We're, we're try to go through it anyway. Kudos to Jeremiah for trying. Uh, we hope that he comes on Plenty at some point bars. in the future. Uh, his Twitter handle, you know, his, his, uh, his plug is uh, Paragon Postcards, so go check him out. He does a lot of uh, his own uh, media analyses, so um, yeah, check that out. Yeah, it, it, it sounded like he had a similar fascination to old cartoons that we do, and mm-hmm. that, is, uh, that is always welcome. Yep, um, It's just unfortunate circumstances kept us apart. So We're like bad. star-crossed lovers, but like one of the lovers is actually two brothers. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that landed right. It's landed. <laughs> it's it's gliding down slowly. Good, good. So uh, Ben, let's start talking on this. The Carton Ed about the show. I already did it. The Lost Ed episode. Oh, I didn't even hear it. Why not? I don't you... listen. Yeah, see that that this is the first part. Okay, uh, Zane, I'm getting a phone call. <laughs> I don't recognize the number. One moment. <laughs> Yeah, so that was the old country. They need me to fly back real quick because uh, Aunt Gerda has is is having her mole is having babies. So I gotta go. Uh, we're gonna have to pick this up on another occasion. Mole babies. <laughs> That's the one. Make your dreams become mold. Um, okay, yeah, I, I'm I'm still we're still good. So Ed, Ed, and Eddie ran on Cartoon Network from 1999 until 2009, where it ended in a movie, Ed, Ed and Eddie's Big Picture Show. It also had a video game. I think the un the the I don't remember what it was called. Yeah, like a lot of Cartoon Network shows, it had a video game that was unremarkable. Yeah, but that is the image that comes up when you try to watch it at my favorite streaming site. So <laughs> I I kept seeing the box art for it, and it made me happy. Oh, so they actually try and sell you things at your streaming sites instead of just like extremely erotic web games. Oh yeah, no, they, well they do that too. For fun, yeah. um, no, no. It was just that was the image on the uh, on the link to Ed and Eddie and Oh, sure. Um, yeah. The show was created by Danny Antonucci. Uh, mm-hmm. He allegedly uh, made the show on a dare, and then <laughs> brought it to Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon, and went with Cartoon Network because they let him have creative control, and I think that was necessary. Yeah, you like this is one of those shows that really it needs to be done by a person who very much believes in a unique art style and presentation because that's what we've got and that's why it appealed to so many people. Uh, on Cartoon Network, it's their longest running original show, I believe. Yeah, running like eight, uh, eleven years straight. And it was by no means something that was guaranteed to be a hit. This is a guy who worked for Hanna Barbera, but he had creative projects on the side, most uh, importantly among them Lupo the Butcher, which is just like three minutes of a butcher chopping himself, like, 
cutting himself a bunch by accident and like running around screaming. So he he got pigeonholed <laughs> as a gross and edgy guy. So the dare was, hey, can you make a kid's cartoon? I'm reminded of uh, the Mickey Mouse era of like what 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 jokes are gonna land here? Animal torture and suicide humor. Got it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like a very strange um, strange thing to bring to modern tables. Um, yeah, he is a strong advocate of hand-drawn animation known as squiggle vision, which is pretty plain to see in this show. All yeah. the outlines are pretty, uh, pretty, yeah, well, pretty ephemeral. Well, this was the last major show to make the transition from hand-drawn to digital after, you know, several seasons and him saying, like, uh, I, I guess we have to to keep costs down, but I really yeah. love the original hand-drawn cell style animation the squiggle vision is a separate technology it is achieved by um rather than drawing your um you know drawing your frames on their own you actually draw them through sheets of tracing paper so that the outlines don't always line up properly uh, yeah, that, the, that makes coloring them wiggle inside the lines is never something he learned in art ca- art <laughs> class as a kindergartner no uh, just like it yeah he's got like a which it which gives this such a surreal feel, which is so necessary for the show, and why one of the reasons that it appealed to us as uh, as kids. Which maybe let's talk about that before we go onward. It's the first thing that came to mind when I was like, "Hey, I want to do a podcast about old cartoons." You thought Ed and Nettie, right? Zane, what are your memories of this? So I, you know, this was back when we were watching recorded VHS tape, you know, episodes. So watching the same things again and again. And compared to other things on TV at the time, you know, you think of like, uh, you know, slightly before this era, you know, Dexter's Lab, Powerpuff Girls, um, you know, stuff in that vein. This was a lot like, you know how Invader Zim was really groundbreaking, but also terrifying. This wasn't terrifying, but it was just as like out there and creative and, and stretched your brain and made it so like as a kid you could understand this in a way adults couldn't. It was it was just a really yeah. cool and unique uh, approach. It's it's so it's so particular to what it's trying to do, and that thing is make a kind of grounded uh, set piece in like in in terms of like this is a type of uh, this is a type of experience that most kids have, you know, like outside on a summer day just not really any agenda just trying to make fun for yourselves with all the other kids in the neighborhood like it's it's sort of something that is maybe slipping away as uh as our age becomes increasingly technological but this is like a very the reason that it, it it connects with kids is because that you know that that is a that is a thing that kids do yeah but to multiply that stability and groundedness with this surreal presentation kind of makes this beautiful push and pull and I'm, I'm i'll get into it more when we get down the road but like it's it's very daring it's trying to do two things in very separate directions and handles both perfectly this is where his experience from hanna-barbera and his love of like 30s you know popeye era cartoons where that interplay comes in because you have this very formulaic, okay, they're kids, they're going outside, it's slice of life. But within that mold, really anything and everything can happen, and the rules only matter as much as you care. You know, Popeye can punch an anchor into a bunch of fish hooks. Great. Right. So can Ed, 
Um, <laughs> yeah, the rules are definitely just off for Ed. Yeah, like there's there's no there's no rhyme or reason to it there, uh, and it's it's also like what I was reminded of, as you know, because we've talked about this before, because we're cursed, uh, is that this reminds me pretty strongly of Calvin and Hobbes mm-hmm. in the way that uh, it is a grounded kid experience, but will very regularly trip into a fantastical setting to mirror what the kid's own thoughts are. Yeah. And if you are a kid who's like, hey, I'm going to, you know, uh, scientists apparently learn things by taking things apart. What if we do that with everything and not just like everything in the like conventional, my kitchen appliances, I'll take them apart, see what makes them tick. Like start dismantling the reality around. Right. Yeah. It's a really, you, you can do that in this show. That's a really classic episode. Yeah, everything mm-hmm. does work on that kid logic. There's there's a character Johnny who runs around with his little security, uh, you know, uh, like Lord. imaginary friend. It's just a plank of wood named Plank with a face painted on it, and he talks to it like it's a real person. And a lot of times it acts like it's a real person <laughs> it, in a way that I, only makes the, sense if this world is being generated by its participants. Danny Antonucci went on record as stating that Plank should have its, his own personality, which he doesn't talk. He doesn't move. There's he's, like, but you, he's you just get vaguely it menacing. <laughs> you get it through context because like sometimes Johnny will be like, please don't threaten me like that. R2-D2 mm. <laughs> yeah. like doesn't that. have a personality either and everybody loves him. Yeah, that's true. Um, the characters uh, actually were based, at least the main ones, the Eds, were based on Antonucci and his sons. Uh, but the personalities and some of the plot lines derived also from, like, the Three Stooges. So you have that mixture of slapstick and also, like, heartfelt, oh, these are my own experiences. And if you look at the Wikipedia photo for Danny Antonucci, he looks like a grown-up Eddie. Yeah, that's he, pretty good. It is stark. And and what one of the great things is like we we've seen this before where a creator will reference their own childhood in creating a show and it really does give it a sense of a lived in community that is like it, it makes it much more grounded and easy to relate to. Um, we we saw it with Craig Bartlett for Hey Arnold, you know, a bunch of kids living in the inner city, and yes, everything was absurd. All the character proportions were bizarre, and they had weird fascinations. I don't even want to get started on Chocolate Kid. But uh, it, it, it came from a real place of, uh, it, it came from a real life place that he adapted to become more entertaining, zanier in the, the manner that he remembered it in, if not being actually there. And Hey Arnold was a hugely successful show, probably in no small part because it was such a relatable setting. Yeah even though it was so surreal in execution. The characters and the plots are exaggerated, but it works because the world is exaggerated. Yeah, it, the, the world is consistent. Yeah. It, it, is, it is other, and it is, you know, it, it's, it's, it's manic. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, you know, it's a manic opium scape. Yeah, it's a little but unhinged. It, but uh, it, it is consistent within itself. Yeah. And that um, makes all the difference. So we are nearing the end of... Uh, where we got to, we got a little bit into characters, so we'll we'll start to <laughs> lower the pace a little bit from here on out. Um, any yes. final thoughts on how this um, cartoon came to be, or just big takeaways from what it is? I I don't think so. Uh, I, I what I will say is like maybe a personal experience is that uh, there are shows that I have watched when I was a kid that I vaguely remember what was going on in them. You know, I I, I can 
kind of pull back the mind and be like, yeah, these things happened, or these were the big plot points. Edda and Nettie is one, like Johnny Bravo, where I kind of can remember each specific joke <laughs> or, or every kind of particular plot beat. I, I, like, I know these characters so implicitly that it is not difficult to bring to mind how they would interact. Yeah. And that, that's why they get so much mileage out of this show is because the characters are so well-defined and have such a kind of real and textured relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's one of the things coming back to it as an adult where like, it was wacky then, and it's still wacky, but now I can see, like, the relationships and the connective tissue in these plots that just, mm, just just extends it even further. Like, it's a right. rare show that's even better when you watch it as an adult. Right, because you're, 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 you know, you're focusing on the jokes when you're a kid. You're focusing on the jokes, the physical comedy, things like that. Um, but it, you're not necessarily looking at the pieces in between that connect everything. So all of the relationship between Eddie and Double D is something that I kind of never picked up on the textures of it, of like that kind of abusive mirroring of Eddie's brother to him mm-hmm. and how he's like kind of passing that down to like the the next person on the chopping block. Um, you know, all, all of the kind of minute ostracism of the Eds from everybody else in the cul-de-sac is... is Maybe not obvious if you're just watching a couple of episodes, but you feel it over the course of a season. It's like, no, these these kids are pariahs. <laughs> they like, yeah. like, no one wants to be around them on a very very consistent basis. Yeah, and what's interesting, and this was, I think, one of the things Jeremiah wanted to talk about was the way that that progresses over the seasons. Because in the first, in the early seasons, you know, this is sort of like a like a constant summer thing and then later it gets into like the fall and they go to school and all that in the early seasons they're scamming they're trying to get money and the goal is get money to get jawbreakers it was Uh, more it was more you know they had a much more defined motivational structure mm -hmm. when they were the beginning in the later seasons it it shifts a bit where a lot more episodes have to deal with trying to gain acceptance from their peers yeah. Or, like, trying to prove something. Like, I just watched an episode before this where, um, you know, the Urban Rangers, which is, like, the Boy Scouts organization. God, I or- love the Urban Rangers. <laughs> With the, the, they have, like, that... Uh, the L for Loser uh, the, as, sign. As their, like, sigil. Yeah. yeah. Um, Eddie thinks they're dumb, but also wants to be the best of them. Right. And so and, he challenges yeah. Rolf to the, like manliness hairy chest pain tolerance uh badge <laughs> and we just get like a series of like five wily coyote like them getting hurt get a, ser- get a series of uh both of them sticking their arm into that box and you know just to test if they're if they're a person or if they're an animal yeah um, and uh, the gom jabber uh, <laughs> you know, gom pierces jabber. yeah it, like if, if if they move they 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 are assassinated by right. i assume the village leader yeah by the village people Yes, <laughs> that's, that's a weird Dune, <laughs> Dune village people a little match up there in the navy. <laughs> you if you feel pain. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's no there's no money to be gained there. He's he just wants to prove something and to be accepted, and he never does. And this culminates in the movie, which is all about you know understanding that drive and finding catharsis for like your inability to become one of a group yeah that 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 is a really good point and that's a and, and line I, would, I didn't pick up on as a kid 
And I would say that if you look at individual episodes, you start seeing notes of that, even if they haven't fully gone into the social ostracism angle. Mm-hmm. Because like there's an episode, one of my favorites, where they wanna where they wanna make Ed cool. I don't remember the exact conceit behind it, but they wanna turn Ed into a cool guy that appeals to everyone. And it does eventually get into a place where they can scam money because of it. <laughs> But it's rooted in a place of, we are not accepted. How do we become accepted? These are the cool guy things that you can do. And, and you know, like, teaches him a bunch of bullshit that uh, yeah. for some reason makes him cool. Um, but, yeah, it's, I don't know. Like, it's it, it feels really good to see Ed kind of become accepted of the group, even though I don't really tend to like most of the group. <laughs> yeah, they're, but it, it's they've a got familiar, their own issues. It's a familiar child pain of, you know, feeling like everybody's leaving you out of something. Yeah. Yeah, and, so, like, despite its surrealness, it touches on a lot of really core emotional shit that kids go through, and that, again, with the relatability. Yeah, and, and the fact that they're, like, it's a closed group, like, there's 12 characters in this show, plus... Yeah, that's it. Plank. Um, Victor, Wilfred, yeah. Th- yeah, all the animals. Um, yeah. But that mean like, that reflects how the child would see it. Like, I need to get in with the cool kids, because they're the only ones who matter, because right now they're the only ones that exist... And I'm having that, that some, like, Kagato Ergo some nonsense going on in here. Can you define that for me? Oh, uh, I, I think therefore I am. Just like... Oh, sure. I'm, I know I'm real, and I can <laughs> see these kids, so they got a leg up. Everything beyond this cul-de-sac might as well not exist. I, yeah, Ed, uh, Ed is definitely a practitioner of solip- solipsism. If he doesn't see it, it's not there. Which is used sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, yeah, so I, I guess that's probably enough to get into Yeah, that, that's enough priming the pump. I do want to say um, the general premise for the show, like I said, is, uh, you know, three boys, Ed, Ed, and Eddie, same name, they try yep. to scam their peers to get money to get jawbreakers. That's the, that's the conceit. That, I mean, like, to begin with, it, it, it wavers. In practice, a lot of the times, this is It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia for kids. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the edge is still there from Antonucci's other work. It's just, it's different. It makes you feel okay about, um, like, this these social dynamics and the things they're willing to do. Because it's a cartoon, aren't as bad, but they're still, like, rough. Like, I was watching the first episode uh, with, with Chrissy... Mm. And I like I, I I didn't I just like watched the first episode and like I let's see how this show holds up, and the first episode has an extended water torture sequence. <laughs> yes, it does. And you you kind of I don't know if you forget that from when you watched it as a kid or if it just didn't hit you as like some nonsense. <laughs> there's there's a very particular point in that scene where it shows Eddie like putting like kind of using like a little squirt gun to water torture plank and with like a a creepy smile and his lids almost entirely closed staring at johnny while he does it and it's like oh geez that's yeah like you can see dennis from it's always sunny just doing that (laughs) you totally can now he would be doing it with beer and a gun and like masturbating the entire time but like the the (laughs) spirit is there Now let's talk about the goat. Like, can we talk about the goat for a minute? <laughs> I'm Ed, I'm dying to talk about to you. The, talk to you about the goat all day. <laughs> There's no goat. Show notes again. Yeah, let's talk about uh, the Charlie <laughs> of this show, uh, Ed. It, I, I don't know if he is the Charlie of this show. Like that they they're they're much more surreal and they're they're much more archetypical. Yes, than yeah. the it's always Sunny's character. Yeah, like this, I, this I think is... that you're. 
This is dumb guy, smart right. guy, shifty guy. Yeah, more or less. You got your fighter, your wizard, and your rogue. Um, <laughs> it, so, so Ed is voiced by Matt Hill, who had some roles on a bunch of uh, on a bunch of anime, Gundam, Inuyasha, a few other things. Gundam. Um, Gundam. He might be the best slapstick character I've ever seen. <laughs> anything's on the table except for maybe the three stooges like eddie when he gets hurt he carries the damage with him you see him in casts and like with his teeth falling out constantly ed is immune <laughs> like yeah he yeah and, and like everything he does is an animation marvel yes like <laughs> he he frequently features as a funny detail in a scene if not the outright punchline. like if he it, like uh, there's a there's a great moment early on in one episode where the three Eds are running across a puddle. Uh, Eddie is going goes right through it, splashes up. Like he hits the middle of the puddle, it splashes. No concern for and other keeps people. Going. Uh, Ed goes into it and he sinks down into the bottom of the puddle. Like <laughs> you can't see him anymore. He entirely is subsumed in this puddle that Eddie could just splash through. Right. And like that on its own, and then Double D goes. Through like goes around it because he doesn't want to get his feet wet of course so like perfect characterization and also just like the joke in there is so it sort of reminds me of cheap in the big city sort of meta humor of you know like it, it just pause it makes you pause it makes you have to think for a second it's like wait a second it's it's like, a subversion of expectations and normally yes. like with the slapstick sometimes you feel some sympathy for the person getting hit but he's happy to be there too like he's happy that a joke occurred and that that's why it's okay is because he's so so into it most of the time especially when this physical comedy stuff happens and the physical comedy stuff really reminds me of a couple points of reference is uh who is the guy on the clock, Buster Keaton? Yeah, yeah, the, the 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 that famous one where he's like screaming on the clock hands as they're like turning because he's like real high up. That sort of physical comedy, or Marx Brothers, or Charlie Chaplin, where it's all about subverting the expectations. There's like this one great image. I don't remember who it was, but this bit of somebody walking or somebody coming out of a lake in a canoe. And they get high enough to where it shows that they weren't actually in a regular canoe. They had, like, this weird canoe-like appendage <laughs> on their waist, and they're just walking upright. And it's like they have, like, they have like shorts that are also a canoe. So, like, one moment, it looks like a thing you know. Second moment, it's like, oh, that didn't actually, that wasn't actually the case. Third moment, and this is the important one. Why are these two moments in the same... Like, why is that second <laughs> moment even there? <laughs> like, how could that have happened? <laughs> yes. Um, and it's that, it's that like, kind of setup and subversion that Ed is so good at. Yeah. And I think the fact that he's happy and willing to be there does a lot. Like, uh, there's there's a scene where, like, they're trying to convince the kids that, like, there's, a like, a monster on the loose, like a Bigfoot. And so yeah. Eddie, like, slams Ed's feet with a hammer. Oh, the monkey boys. Yeah, and his feet swell up to, like, the size of beanbag chairs. Like, it's ridiculous. And he's looking at them like, whoa, <laughs> look at, the, look at yeah. these guys. <laughs> and he, like, has, like, balloon inflating noises when he does it. Oh, God, the <laughs> noises add so much. Yeah, they do. The sound effects in this show are goddamn superb. Yeah, so this is this is really... What was the show we were talking about where, like, it's not okay because the character who pain is done to does not enjoy it? Oh, gosh. I'm sure it's happened before, but like I, that is always that. That's where you can kind of lose 
the empathy angle that mm-hmm. that's what i that's a lot of what i have a hard time with in stuff like ren and stimpy or invader zim as well like bad things are done to characters and that is the joke and that joke doesn't land for me unless the characters are also okay with it yeah in the in the way that like you're okay with the three stooges because you know that they're on tv if you saw three people out in the wild doing beating that to sh- each one, other one person yeah one person beating the shit out of the other two who are stockholm syndromed or like Larry and the Rabbited. Yeah, this weird thing where you need to not suspend your disbelief about it being a show for it for it to work. <laughs> that's that's a really cool. That's a good point. Like you have to not suspend the disbelief. Yeah. In order. Yeah. Huh. God, this show has a lot. Um. Yeah. I. I so uh, he also just looks to... great. Uh, like he he runs with his head. His like run his, is amazing. His upper body is completely backwards. Like he's it's a not ninety degree angle. He's just running full speed ahead, and like the run cycles, the walk cycles, the way that they stand and move and and do things, that was all like rigorously tested before they even started making the episodes. They're like, we need these characters to come across in an instant, and it, yes. it pays off so much. Yeah, there there's certain motions that each of them had. Like all of the different runs are amazing because like Eddie has his arms out in front as he's running. And it has like kind of a forty-five degree angle forward. Yeah, he's like a, like a like a dick wolf, like a. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like a he's like a Tex Avery character. Should, yeah, should we? I, I feel like it's been a year or so since we've explained what dick wolf is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you do your thing. I'm, I'm gonna. Yeah, you know, in the yeah, in those old cartoons where like there's a an attractive lady starlet or Bugs know, Bunny think of the like an attractive lady, either one, and then uh, a character usually like a wolf in a suit is like looking at her and his eyes like, jaw drops Whoa. to the ground, just tongue rolls out like a red carpet. Yes. Yeah. That's who we affectionately refer to as Dick Wolf. <laughs> Which is funny because I believe that's also the producer on Law & Order. Uh, yes, and that makes me think of Rip Torn, the uh, Zed from uh, Men in Black. Rip, Rip Torn. Okay. <laughs> he passed recently. <laughs> oh, did he? Yeah, I think so. All right. Zed. Rip, yep. Rip, uh, Zed. Yeah, so um, <laughs> just, just to give a couple of moments of crazy shit that Ed does... Uh, Eddie uses him like a lawnmower, prompting Double D to remark, your talents are endless, aren't they? And he's, like, chewing the ground, and, like, you, you, he's, like, vibrating back and forth, like one of those old, like, motorized lawnmowers. It, the combination of a human is not an appliance, and the fact that he looks like he's vibrating in the manner that the appliance would is mm-hmm. very good. Yeah, his his effortless transition from regular cartoon to looney tunes cartoon yes uh like when they see a sign that says keep off the grass and he just reaches down and picks up the border of the grass on the sidewalk lifts yeah. it up and crawls underneath like a blanket yeah. <laughs> <laughs> technically yeah he uh there, there's one part where he, they're on like a yacht or a boat that they made and in order to get more speed he like pulls his ear to rev himself up like a motor <laughs> and like his lips start moving back and forth and he like puts himself in the water and like when he touches down to the water they start rocketing off in the other direction mm-hmm. it's just like it's a lot of fun to watch and uh, it's, there's there's this great yeah. moment where Ed and Double D hop a fence that has like a hole in one of the like there's like a little knot hole in in the in this wooden fence. Oh yeah. <laughs> and as opposed to jumping over it, he like k- 
kind of revs himself up and then just dives right into the hole and does like sort of like a toilet bowl motion to rotate himself through. <laughs> it's like, again, it's, it, there, there's nothing to it. It takes five seconds. It's not the focus of the scene, but it's always funny. Yeah. And it's what's great about this character is that he's not just that. He has a lot of like pathos to him. He has, um, you know, he has character traits. He does. He's an avid reader. It's of comic books, but and like monster novels. But he reads all the time. He's a very sweet boy. Like you need him to have that. He needs to be this sort of like really sweet, good but dumb kid. Love Wolf because the other two Eds are sort of like this bickering parent thing, and and yeah. Ed is needed to rein them in and drive things forward. Yeah, as terrible as his sister is, Sarah, he is always, like, mortally afraid if anything bad has happened to her. Mm-hmm. Which is, I, I did not really notice that. It's like, they don't really, they didn't really read to me as kids as a brother and sister. It was more just, like, people, like, it was just two people in the cul-de-sac. Yeah, and it you, didn't really, like, it didn't read to me now. like a relationship. Yeah, that's pretty much, they felt like roommates almost. But it actually is closer than that, which is yeah. a very cool detail that they didn't need to put in. They, they do remind you sometimes. There's some really amazing dialogue uh, when, like, she's threatening to tell, or, or, like, he's afraid that Sarah will tell his parents. And he's yeah. like, we can't let Sarah know because Sarah will tell mom and mom will tell dad. And dad will say, not now. I just got home from work. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a really good line. I'm, I'm going to try to go find that. Yeah. Really, really inspired stuff. Um, yeah, it, and he's just, like, I mean, like, beyond all of that, he is a lovable oaf. He is fun to watch, and you like it when he's... You you like him being happy in the same way you like a dog smiling. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just seems like... It just seems like the world should be a place where he enjoys himself. Lovable oaf, huggable loaf. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, the Double D. Double D. Big tits. Uh, double Samuel D's nuts. Vincent, double D's nuts. Uh, so this is Samuel Vincent. Uh, also worked on some, uh, also worked on some anime. some anime such as Gundam, and also uh, was Mister uh, was uh, Mister Haruno from uh, Hamtaro. I believe he apparently. was also Dexter in Hamtaro. Goodbye, Dexter. <laughs> Not uh, that was Dexter. He? Yeah. Oh my gosh, you're the, right. The yeah, book, it's the same character. Yeah, it's just Double D if he was a hamster though. Um, <laughs> horny hamster. Yeah, I I think that. He's less maybe enjoyable to watch than Ed, but I do think that he's more interesting. He provides because, the moral backbone, yeah. which is always a little bit of a stick in the mud when we're trying to have fun. Um, sure. But he's he acts as an important counterbalance to the unrestrained id that is Eddie. Yeah, it's and and it it almost starts to bump up against that recess problem where like I don't believe that these kids would be friends. I, it's just it feels like it just to give me a diverse cast that mm-hmm. I can watch, um, but I do believe that these kids would be friends because they're so fucking isolated from everybody else in the cul-de-sac. Like they're all outcasts. They do a they do a flashback at one point to when they met, and it's just like Eddie is trying to scam them as babies. Yeah, um, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's the case. Yeah. So like they, they do have that history where like maybe their personalities don't fit together in the same way super well like they fight they bicker a lot but and you know double d gets hurt a lot in a way that i'm sure he wishes he didn't but they don't have anyone else like i don't think that most of most of the other cast of characters do not like the eds 
Kevin does not like them. Sarah mm-hmm. and Jimmy don't really care for him. Johnny's a bit of a corner case. It seems to vary with the episode. I think Rolf tends to like like them, but only dismissively. Yeah, like these are. Hang on, I'm they're like to village of... idiot from his home country or something. Yeah, they're, like they're that's an important part idiot. of society. Like you don't have to like them. You just you know that they're there to fulfill a good role. So they're they're not really invited to shit, and that that means that they. Need <laughs> yeah, I invite you to shit. I invite you to shit. Um, please, after you. <laughs> it is. It's only polite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, take turns. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, is this your supposition that we're in, on separate toilets and we're inviting each other to take turns, or we're like, is because that's kind of funny. I don't know why it's funny. <laughs> yeah, like you have to lift your top hat. And, oh, excuse me. <laughs> I, I say, I say, pinky out. Um, but yeah, like so. So their friendship does make sense to me. I think that, I think that Double D and Ed make a lot of sense in that Double D needs somebody to talk to. And Ed is like good natured and curious. Yeah, and and he I think is kind of afraid of being alone. If I were to guess, like he needs direction, and it won't always be a fun direction. But Double D provides that stability that he I, that he I I see Ed as kind of craving. Mm-hmm. It it's sort of like Pinky <clears throat> and the Brain, I guess, in that way. Like the the this this person is not that fun, but they sort of they're sort of codependent. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, his his relationship with Eddie, on the other hand, is almost more or, of or like Zim a... and Zim and Gur, I guess, would be a good example mm-hmm. of where like Gur sometimes gets in his way, but Zim needs so badly to be able to explain his plans to someone yeah. that like it it overcomes that deficit to their actual productivity. Mm-hmm. So it's it sort of reminds me of that. You, sorry, you were saying something about Eddie. The relationship between Double D and Eddie, on the other hand, is a lot more. Um tense um usually you know eddie will say like we should do this and then double d will say let's just cut our losses wait until next episode things never go well when we when we cross x line right and i don't i don't know if i perfectly understand their relationship i think that there's so the way that the, the the movie actually really helps cement eddie's character Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the movie is all about the Eds trying to go find Eddie's brother for protection against fallout from their latest scam, and when we when they get there, it's revealed that Eddie's brother is a total dick and you know mistreats the shit out of Eddie, and then um, you know it, it sort of explains his character in a cool way where like mm-hmm. he he idolizes this person, but he clearly can't depend on him, so I think that. Eddie's relationship with Double D is significant because it gives him a kind of trustworthy point of admiration. Like Eddie to Ed is not is just you know again it's 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 of mice and men. It is of mice and men. It is just that. (laughs) But there is sort of a camaraderie and like I think that Double D is maybe the only person that Eddie is aware of. Like in, in the in the emotional sense. Sure. Where like this is this person it, it goes a little bit into that in the movie. He's still like a sociopath, so like not entirely, but I get the feeling that Double D means a lot to him. 
Um, maybe I'm projecting. No, I think that's I think that's right. I in the movie, some of the big moments are when they admit, like when they break down those emotional barriers and admit that they really do care about each other, even if they're not great at expressing their feelings. And like, this is a kid's cartoon. This is this is like, yeah, really impressive stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like we have to put it on a pretty generous rubric here. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think. I think Eddie sees Double D as, like, the occasionally naive, very useful pal, but that on its own wouldn't explain their hanging out. He actually does like and admire Double D for his not needing to go along with society's conventions because Double D doesn't seem to care as much. In the- yeah, he's he's not as... He doesn't need the approval of others in the same way that Eddie does. Yeah, and Eddie's trying to trying to understand that um eddie is is by far the coolest character to me (laughs) just in terms of like how he's just very he's just very very interesting in a lot of ways definitely Um, are we talking about eddie now oh i just wanted to say that uh double d's approach to eddie is almost more like you know trying to restrain those dark impulses because he sees that eddie actually is very shrewd he's good at business he comes up with great ideas that double d can then apply his science and engineering knowledge to see the, you know it's like a great business partnership but you do need to reel in your your partner who's willing to bet it all on the market you know double d is like eddie's new boyfriend the former one like look your last the last guy did you a lot of damage <laughs> like You've got some scars here, they, it, and and when you know when you get into that mode where you're exploiting other people or, you know, uh, doing the things that your brother did to you, like when you're when you're in that mode, it is harder for me. But I'm very invested in helping you get past that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like, he, yes, he is shrewd, but he can also be cruel. They and see, Double D tries to keep the shrewd, mm-hmm. get rid of the cruel. Yeah. They see something in each other that nobody else does, and that's that's a very special relationship. Yeah, that that is extremely cool. I do think that it the way that Eddie sees Double D, it's it's interesting because uh, well, let, let's say this uh, Eddie's voice acted by Tony Sampson, mm-hmm. um, who apparently is a real chill guy. I uh, I haven't seen him in anything else, but he he Eddie's. Eddie only kind of views other people as like marks or tools in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about the relationship of Eddie to Double D, it has to be framed within that uh, that context, is that he does view him as a useful tool and sometimes Mark, but it's the way that he treats him in those circumstances that is unique. For instance, first episode, uh, we see Double D, he's organizing stuff in his room. He gets a door, uh, someone rings the doorbell, he comes downstairs, nobody there. He starts going back upstairs. Someone rings the doorbell. They go through about three or four different passes of this. One time, a bucket of water falls on his head. One time, he gets slapped in the face with a fish. He doesn't see who did it. Finally, he answers the door again, and Eddie's like, Hey, Double D, what took you? Like, clearly just, like, <laughs> messing with him. But it's 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 kind of not a good-natured messing with him, but, like, there's no malice behind it. He's, like, I think that him pl- pranking Double D is his version of of palling around with his friend. Eddie cannot imagine a joke that does not have a but. Um, yeah. <laughs> and him coming in and saying, hey, what took you so long, is his way of inviting Double D to be a part of the joke. 
that that is what it feels like <laughs> yeah that's and that uh, it, it, that is that is difficult right like <laughs> that we've got is such one a line. person it's but it, I, I get the feeling that that is what they're trying to con- convey with Eddie is that he does want to be around this person. It, but this is what friendship means to him because this was his model growing up yeah. is his brother pranking him all the time. Yeah. And then so. bringing him in, you know, once in a while to to so that he doesn't run away. Yeah. Yeah. More or less. Like it, it, it is pretty interesting kind of uh, fractured friendship slash relationship sort of metaphor there. And and I agree that he does see most people as marks and targets, but he does have a unique relationship with every other character. How do you mean? Give, give me the, some examples. The way that he will mark somebody looks different. For Jimmy, he'll say like, "Hey, let me take you under my wing. You know, let's do some weight training for you. Let's make you the strong man, and then I'll make my money that way." Or with Johnny. The episode will just start, and Eddie will just start yelling at Johnny, don't look at me, throw these eggs at the target. Don't look at me. <laughs> yeah, running, oh yeah, running. I forgot like, about that. Overwhelming, confusing him. Uh, you know, for Rolf, he'll play on his sense of mysticism by doing a fortune telling. Like, it's clear or he, just, he understands know, like, the inner lives of other people. I get the feeling, like, for, for Rolf and Kevin, whom he's, like, kind of used to them seeing through his bullshit... He's just kind of upfront about it. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is what I'm selling. Are you into this? Mm-hmm. Like you know that it's bullshit. You know that I'm trying to scam you. Do you have any alternative? I, no. I I love when Eddie hits on a con that's so good, where he announces it, and Kevin recognizes it as a con, and sometimes even sees beyond it. But he'll pay some money just to kind of see where this goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's almost kind of like an admiration of a never say die attitude because. That's the other thing that I really like about Eddie is that music man, P.T. Barnum attitude mm-hmm. of just <laughs> everyone is a sucker, and I'm going to Walt Disney just, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to sweet talk them, I'm going to dazzle them, and then if they come after me, I'm just going to fucking skip town. Yeah, there's, like, <laughs> except, just, just except it's the same town, just a different episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different episode, they're just going to skip time. <laughs> There is, like, kind of a sense of, like, American opportunism, uh, like, screwing over the other guy that is just, like, it's very endearing on a child. <laughs> yeah, because, a child Because it's so different. Acknowledges and doesn't, like, yeah, that's 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 what I'm doing. <laughs> like, he has yeah, no illusions like about it. He's like a wolf pup of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that Eddie is a really... I think that he's the most interesting character in the show. Not close. He's the one with the most personality, and he goes through the most different, like, kind of emotional moments. Because he is deeply emotional because of the shit that his brother put him through. That's the fun part about it. Yeah. Is that, like, he's he's clearly the most panicky, and he, like, becomes... He's sort of manic. Like, he, manic panic. He does have a manic depressiveness to him. Like, how many times have we seen something go wrong, he's depressed or crying or injured or something, and Double D trying to be a good friend, just reaches out his hand as if to say, hey, we don't need to scam anyone this episode. Let's just go hang out. And Eddie will use that as a light switch. Like, you're right. We're not beaten. Let's try this again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 really incredible. Have you ever seen um, Black Books? Uh, I have not. I think I think that's what it's called. It's got that one guy from Oh, Shaun no, the yeah. The, the, I thought you were referring to some anime nonsense. No, um, no. That's Black Butler, I think, is what you're hearing. That's what, what I'm thinking hearing. of, yeah. No, no I've seen Black, Black Books. Books. Is, yeah, and, and that the main character is not particularly good at his job, but he, he's 
such a fast talking weirdo and sometimes <laughs> that, that's kind of what you just said reminded me of is just like someone flips a light switch he has an immediate answer it doesn't always make the most sense but like like uh i remember there's this one great moment where uh he's trying to get beat up for some reason like he yeah he, wants he to goes convince... up to some skinheads right yeah he, he's well he, like the, the conceit is he's trying to get beat up it's the one guy from Shaun of the dead uh, i think dave was his name in that yeah um yeah uh and uh i think the actor's really funny by the way like mm-hmm. black books is a very good he's show. a good comedian too i'm blanking on his name yeah i would i we'll have to look it up yeah link that in the show notes you link that um but there's this one bit where he for some reason has to get beat up so that like uh his insurance doesn't find him guilty of like pretending to be injured or something like that mm-hmm. and he like looks around panicky and he sees some like skinheads out on the corner he's like skinheads great <laughs> <laughs> like goes out there and so it's like oh, this is you uh i'm i'm i like i have got issues with my mother and my girlfriends are unfulfilled and like <laughs> just pops him in the face and just like the idea I don't know, Eddie, for some reason, like, in a weird way, that's what Eddie reminded me of in that moment of, like, yeah, he sees an opportunity, and he goes way into it without a second thought. And that, like, there's there's no restraint. That light switch also makes sense with his character, because what are the two ways that he's used to being treated by his brother? Full acceptance and, like, we're going to go do something cool or getting beaten up? Yep. That's, that's all he knows. Yeah. Great. I, I would be surprised if, like, kids watching this did not, like, maybe view bullies in a different light in seeing Eddie. I It's weird, right? Because, like, you know, Eddie is this weird perpetrator slash victim complex. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to know when to root for him. I, I think it went over my head as a kid. But looking it at it now, there, it is unavoidable. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess back then when I was a kid, I was just I just hated Kevin more. Yeah, because Kevin's a real he's a real jerk about it. Yeah, he's a football player. Because he's not him. even trying to scam people. He's he's just antisocial. Yeah, he's just a dick. Uh, let's talk about the other characters, the one-offs, not the one-offs. There are the, always the, there. these extremely present, the recurring others. characters who just happen to be a lot less fleshed out. Um, yeah, I mean. They they are less fleshed out, but they are also very tied down and specific. Mm-hmm. So like a, you know the Eds are two maybe two point five dimensions. These are one dimensional characters. I I think the Eds are or at least Eddie is three dimensions. But yeah, three let's, dimensions. Let, for let's Eddie. say let's look at three character traits for Kevin. Uh, loves his bike. Dork. He call, loves his bike. Calls, calls the Eds calls dorks. The dorks. That's his catchphrase. Um, pals very, around with Naz the most. Yeah, he, he's a very socially uh, adept, you know, captain of football team kind of guy. Yeah. Um, but he's also, you know, he's got his own sort of weird past. Like, he's also a bit of a loner who rides his bike around, but he's also, you know, sometimes mean to people. Like, there, there's, there's stuff there. It's just we don't get as much explanation for it. And it's also, like, it, it's not a thing that can necessarily... You don't get a lot of uh, bandwidth of his how he presents his emotions mm-hmm. with ed you get both manic excitedness you get pensive terror you get a lot of different versions of sort of the same character i think there's really only two versions of kevin which is uh making fun of the eds or being dismissive and or angry at them yeah being ready to pound them 
And since we don't see him around anything else than the Ed, that is very limited. And I believe Kevin is voiced by Kathleen Barr, who we saw as Dot Matrix in Reboot. If, sure. <laughs> if you say so. I, I didn't take note of many was, of these other characters, so you might have to help me out when we're that going That was the only here. one that I noticed, except for uh, Terry Klassen. Uh, who was Eddie's brother in the movie and is uh, Krillin in Dragon Ball Z and Cutman in Mega Man. So I, no way. I needed to, to mention that. But, That's amazing. Uh, Terry Klassen also did the voice directing in the show, and I think that is, like, the voice direction in this is really good. Apparently, every, like, there was no ad-libbing. This isn't an Angry Beavers type thing. Right. Um, Antonucci wanted, you know, he wrote things with extremely specific goals in mind and would have uh-huh. them do like upwards of 60 takes to get something just right. Oh, man. And it's it sounds exhausting, but it's also a little confusing because this is a show where they will just cut in audio from other episodes that have no context. That is such a weird, that is a weird choice. <laughs> there are a lot of really unique weird choices in this show that work only in this show. Let, let, let's, I know this is jumping into dialogue and music and stuff. I have to mention we, this. It, it's, it's, it's extremely strange. The, okay, so let, let's give an example so that you guys know what we're talking about. There's an episode, there's like a gift of the magi or like a shaggy dog story kind of long trade sequence yeah, side episode quest. side quest episode and there is a point where they have to go get clams and johnny will come out of the sewer and he has a bunch of clams and he says to plank look at the clams gurgle in the bucket clank or uh, plank <laughs> johnny and clank Johnny and Clank. Ratchet and new, Plank. It's a new game. I bet yeah. this fan art Ratchet and He's Plank. He's wearing like a colander on his head as armor. I guarantee it. Um, but that clip of listen to the clams gurgle in the bucket, Plank, will get used in other episodes <laughs> without Johnny on screen. Yes. Like, it'll, it'll get, that, that's his filler dialogue now. So, like, and, and that's not, it's not unique to that specific moment like there's many examples where that exact thing happens yeah jimmy will say bouncy 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 and sometimes it's in reference to something bouncing but equally likely not (laughs) it's just him passing by so and that i was fine with that i thought that was just like an interesting like cost cutting measure or something work but no it's gotta be clearly it's intentional (laughs) it there there are if you wanted to have johnny throwaway dialogue that's not the one you'd pick yeah, that's, that's not so in a specific. million years. That's that's insane. That's like us saying the Cartoni Awards like intro, the five minute us doing nonsense shit in our regular lives at the grocery store. There's it's, no way. I I and I bet. So it had to be to intentional, through, but to what end? If you were to go through and do like a statistical analysis of it, maybe you could come up with some sort of artistic explanation. I can't nail it down. I just know that it's bizarre. It it almost feels more like an Easter egg than anything else. Because the throwaway dialogue does not matter. We're not focused on it. We're focused on the Eds in a predicament. Um, and so the, the throwaway dialogue doesn't matter. But for people who are listening, they're like, I know that from a different episode. Why is it here? It Maybe it's like that one-two punch again of setting up the scene you think it's something normal it's something not normal and the yep. joke is why is the not normal thing where the normal thing should be no expectation like is puddle. too small to subvert like like ed in the puddle yeah it's exactly right like i don't know if that like goes toward a more cohesive whole for the show it's not out of place because like it being out of place isn't out of place 
Because again, the, right. the world is consistent. The world is out of place. Yeah, the world is unstuck in time. <laughs> yeah, somebody, somebody did something wrong here. Somebody loosened up all the rivets on this show. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just like that. Okay, we, we can we can get back into that with like later stuff. But like, good point of reference because it's <laughs> amazingly weird. <laughs> um, uh, how do you feel about the one-off characters in general? The the other characters, the non-eds. Uh, you know, I tend to like them. Do not... we need to go through each of them in turn? You know, we can tell, we can say a little bit about each of them, just because they're, you know, they're so iconic. I think they are. Uh, I mean, to us, show. but like they are also very consistent episode to episode. You always know what you're getting with Ralph. Yeah, Ralph. Ralph is great. Uh, you know, it, I'm not sure how offensive it is that he's like from the old country and doesn't understand your new customs, but it's endearing the way that he does them because. He's clearly got his shit together better than anyone else. It's it's an interesting take on the wacky foreigner trope because yeah, he's uh, both he's both the most responsible as maybe an immigrant child in a new country trying to support their family would have to be just out mm-hmm. of necessity, but he's also got some really wacky dialogue that makes him seem just like he's from a he's from an alien planet. Yeah, do you remember uh, in Doug uh, Fentruck? Of course, I remember. I remember friend friend Fentruck. He he uh, he spoke Yakostonesian. Yeah, because that's where he's from. He's from Yakostonesia. But that's imagine if he was Quail Man. You know, like that level yeah. of like I. Because Fentruck is a normal guy who just happens to have an accent. Rolf is some sort of weird superhuman, like expert <laughs> tracker, bodybuilder, animal husbandry knows all the like customs of his people weird he has a farm in a cul-de-sac he's ever he's can you think about that for just like a moment country with him (laughs) yeah (laughs) he is the country uh i love the episode where they and it's interesting this is one of those ones where like double d is like we should do something nice for him and eddie's like we should get money from him and their interests (laughs) coincide where they set up they hit him over the or like he gets hit over the head and he wakes up in his own home country where like they're selling fish to him from the fish market and they're like going around slapping each other (laughs) yeah as is his old custom singing the his old folk music song that's my horse that's my horse um god i remember a lot of this show do you remember the other song they sang uh no i don't uh she uh i'm too fat for her she's too fat for me for me i was at a polish restaurant once and on the wall there were like records from the old country and one of them was the she's too fat for me polka that's a real song (laughs) what (laughs) what does it mean who knows (laughs) (laughs) because it can't be literal why that, not? That couldn't that couldn't be the case? <laughs> I refuse. I, I agree that like the depiction of Eastern European immigrants being so wacky is a little kind of gross. But given that I like the character so much, it never upset me. Yeah, I mean he's you know he's rarely the butt of the joke. He is he's just a fun place to put more wackiness that would be weird coming from Ed. Yes. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I, I like him a lot. Johnny's a little weirder. Um, he's got a he, he. His best friend is Plank. He's very. He's. I think he's regularly referred to by the rest of the cast as the weird one. Johnny two by four. Johnny Woodboy. Um, yeah. 
that's that's his that's his porn stage name where's this where's a watermelon on his head as like captain watermelon or something oh yeah and he like wields a plunger or something like yeah he's he's got a lot of strange kind of things what i li- really like about each of the characters is that their costumes are so iconic and they also sort of tell you about the character yeah this, this johnny guy wears sandals disheveled. he's from the wrong side of the tracks <laughs> yeah it, it, well he's from like underneath the tracks almost yeah he's a mole person yeah like almost yeah he's like a proto he's like a proto ed <laughs> yeah like he could morph into an ed at some point this is the end game this is the ed game of of that sort of life <laughs> of being game. a social pariah. can you imagine the, the second ed movie avengers ed, ed game. game ed game <laughs> where all of the avengers are played by the farce of the <laughs> cast of ed and Nettie. <laughs> look at this hammer i found <laughs> i knew it ed boy it's okay. I, I'm always plank. <laughs> um, <laughs> took me a second. So, uh, yeah, this is sort of what would happen if the Eds didn't have each other. Maybe, yeah. You know, like this, he, He's ungrounded. He's making up his yeah. own friend. He's not uniformly ostracized by the other kids. Like, he'll, he'll be in a group shot. He'll join in with stuff. But he's clearly other. Yeah, he's not quite as ostracized as the Eds because the Eds kind of act as this feedback loop that just emphasize their most ostracizable traits. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, Ed gives Double D someone to talk his, you know, his boring textbook definitions at. Uh, Ed gives Eddie a way to make his scams happen, as does Double D. Um, yeah, it's and, and the others give Ed somewhere to somewhere to kind of just exist. And mm-hmm. be in the way, so like they all kind of support in an interesting way. Each of the three Eds kind of uh, helps isolate the other two from the rest of the of the cul-de-sac. Yeah. Like they, they've they've found that they sort of uh, amplify the ways in which they are um, isolating themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have a good a, a better way to put it than that. But if, if Johnny is it's kind like, of the, like a cult. An, you're talking about <laughs> it's, it's, it's an ad cult, yes. If Johnny's the antithesis to that, then he uh, he is not quite as ostracized because Plank doesn't really... It, Plank is just a coping mechanism. It doesn't really feed his weirdness. Yeah, I don't know. That's just a, just a one-off thought kind of thing. Yeah, he's, he's not in a cult. He's just that guy. There's also uh, Naz, who kind of falls not flat really. in terms of characterization. She doesn't get much. Uh, Naz and Sarah. Yeah, it's and... unfortunate. They don't get a ton besides, you know, ditzy and angry as character. character tra- they try and add some stuff in later, but it does feel a bit forced. A little bit. I mean, I think that Naz is just kind of there to round out the quote-unquote popular kids, which is a useful mechanism. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's someone for, for Kevin and Rolf to kind of talk to on a more frequent basis um i liked her in the movie i think i think naz kind of came into her own a little bit there a little Um, little late yeah it was it's a little too little too late yep uh i I like sarah a bit better because i i think that her relationship with ed is good as i had already said and it's a different kind of it's a different age group which is you know why haven't we seen other age groups? Uh, why are they all the same age? Well, they're not. Uh, Ed has a little sister of like two or three years, and she hangs out with uh, this real, this real something or other 
yeah uh jimmy who like appears to be i don't know like a sickly kid with huge braces and a lot of stereotypical kind of feminine almost homophobic traits yeah i think i would just call him like extremely effeminate because these characters are not sexualized yeah it's not it's stop shy of being like a you know a homophobic or you know trying to make a commentary on things it's just this is how the character is portrayed but i agree it's not the friendliest interpretation no it's 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 not the friendliest interpretation of a boy with feminine pursuits and interests yeah yeah i think i think they kind of get the the short end of the characterization stick in that we're not as happy when we see them on screen i'm happy that they're there certainly like yeah they they, they round out the cast um but they don't they don't really have they're, they're not really as uh they're as they're as much of their own characters i think i think it was interesting that you said like there's children of different ages because yeah they're clearly a couple years younger rolf has like like rolf's a couple years older i would say i'm not certain that's true well he just you know because he's got a lot of responsibilities and like you know kind of that's not how i read him stuff that's not how i read him i i read him more as just being at a different place in his maturity I think they're all supposed to more or less be the same age. Okay. Maybe it's just a Except maturity level. Kids. Just I'm I'm thinking it's kind of rare in a lot of cartoons for children of different ages to be represented in that way, in the sort of similarity. You know, you look at uh you look at recess and they all they all live and communicate together, but there's a clear difference between the younger ones and the older ones or like uh, Hey Arnold where a a single year of school turns them from babies to kids and then from kids to like steroided up you know jock bros well and that's one of the things that you can kind of if you wanted to it's a it's one of those other points of reference in that calvin and Hobbes uh sort of way where if you're in this age group things look very different than when you're not in this age group so you have a different perception on other people like when you're a fourth grader in hey arnold fifth and sixth graders look like titans Mm mm-hmm and when you are, um, when you are when you are an Eddie, every everyone kind of looks like a different version of a of a sucker, you know. And he yeah, looks like the I, mature has his responsibilities version of that. Yeah, I, I guess I'm just saying that I I read them as different ages, at least you know, from youngest to oldest, maybe the, like a four year range. Kind of throws that out of whack. Yeah, the school episodes are. I I liked them generally. Um, to to it, to, to kind of to kind of state you know the the the, the swing of this show. Um, for the first four seasons, they were just it was summer, and they were in the cul-de-sac. By the fifth season, they are now in school, which is I don't know why they needed to give them a new setting. I think it was just like enough time had passed. There's different creative control. Maybe they just needed a new playground to walk around in. But mm-hmm. the point is. Um, the show does have a marked difference from fourth to fifth seasons. I think it's a generally worse show. I think that they, they get a little bit more zany and uh, and contrived in terms of their plots. But I like I just watched an episode where the plot of it was that they were all getting mail from pen pals, and apparently one of the pen pals is Rolf's arch enemy from the old country. Um, yeah, and because it had a lot of Rolf, I still enjoyed it. But it was just it was it was a very small box to put the Eds in. It is a harder thing to do to make a cohesive plot around trying to gain acceptance and being liked by your peers as an abstract concept, rather than like we need a scam setup. 
we need yep. a comical result of that. And that's certainly how the show started, I think. It just, it, it morphed into a much more interesting thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I think kinda, there's some variance there. Kind of narrowed down into a less interesting thing later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the final characters are probably worth mentioning at length. The Kanker Sisters. The, I'm going to go ahead and say probably offensive portrayal of people in, who live in trailer parks. Yeah, and again, that that's one of those things that you don't realize when you don't you're, really think about when you're watching as a kid. You're just they're like, just creepy girls who are clearly other than, and it's because you are a young boy watching it, and girls scare you. And this is a girl who has like it's very assertive. It's very assertive. Yeah, like this is a, a like like Sarah, for all of her anger, is not necessarily a threat. Like, it, it's it's not something that makes you question yourself and, like, what's going on. It's just, like, an annoyance. Mm-hmm. And Naz is, you know, cool and maybe occasionally, like, in a sort of puppy love sort of way, just very intriguing and you want to be near her if you're, if you're a young boy. The Canker Sisters are alien. They are a source of... They are, they're like Rolf in that way. Yeah, they <laughs> are other. aggressively... Handy, yeah, yeah, and and like as a kid, like oh, that's you know, I don't want to be These forced into those weird situations. I don't understand, but also just like they exude menace. They yeah, they're are, they're monsters. They're, they're not they're nice to like, each other. They're not nice to the Eds. Like they're, they're like the they're like the villains in a slasher film almost. Yeah, you know, they're like every just time a bit we bigger, a bit faster, a bit more imposing. And a, and a lot of that is how we see the Eds react, which is with like abject terror. Mm-hmm. You know, like once they are aware of the Canker Sisters, whenever they are, sh- whenever they show up, all of them just like are like, "Oh fuck, we got to get out of here!" It's like, <laughs> like, it's like the do- Reavers in Firefly. Yeah, like this is not worth a scam. Like, like this is like our new priority is to not yeah. die. <laughs> everything else, everything else dies away. Um, and damn the money we've got Cankers on our ass. And I'm not quite sure because you know, as opposed to the other characters whom we sometimes empathize with and we see through their perspective that never really happens for the cankers it there they are always the other um and this um this approach to their characterization has been a big part of one of the major conspiracy theories of this show oh excellent let's have it which is that all of the children are dead um oh yes the idea is because they're you know there's no adults there's no interaction they never really leave the cul-de-sac there is this um, idea that they are in a sort of purgatory, and the timelessness of the show means that they came from different time periods. So, like, Johnny, uh, this homeless scamp whose best friend is a piece of woods, he grew up during the Great Depression. Right. Whereas Ed and Sarah, growing up in sort of, like, the very traditional, you know, girls play with dolls, boys watch horror movies, you know, these B-movies, they're from the 50s, like that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and their clothes kind of emphasize that in a mm-hmm. way. Um, there's, uh, you know, Kevin is like a 90s biker. Yeah. Uh, and there's, um, Rolf is like a European immigrant in the, like the early 1900, or the early 20th, 20th century. Right, exactly. So, and, yeah, I, I've seen this conspiracy theory. I think it holds up very well. Well, it's interesting. So the, the final bit is that the Canker Sisters aren't they don't really fit into that box because they're like demons intended to torture the children i buy it and it's it's an interesting conspiracy theory because 
on the one hand, it does fit with all of the evidence, at least up until the fourth season, where things start to change a bit much because they're 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 trying on a new set of pants, uh, show wise. But wait, was it the fourth season that they started going to school? Uh, no, after the fourth season, I think. Oh, okay, cool. But at the same time, I don't know how much it adds to it when you're watching. It's more of like. Oh, that's a fun thought experiment. I didn't find that it improved my uh, watching of the show in the way that, like, a Thundercats conspiracy did. No, it, and it's, like, I don't think it really comments on the creative direction behind the show. Like, I, I don't think... Yeah, it uh, might have been unintentional. I don't think Danny Antonucci had any designs in making them different from different eras. Well, I think uh, the timelessness of the than, cul-de-sac and the otherness of the cankers, I think those were intentional. I think it's like this divergent evolution thing where that could mean that they're in a purgatory where a bunch of kids have died at different eras. It could also mean that Danny Antonucci is going for something like where it just it feels timeless and it feels like every kid has gone through these same experiences. So let's show a bunch of different kinds of kids from different eras. Exactly. I, it's I think it's that, like how you can put Shakespeare in any, you know, you can set it in different times. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, if you, you know, punch up the dialogue, I guess. Yeah, you gotta got punch up. God, it's so dry. Uh, do you, yeah, I, that, that's Not the good const- parts. I'm only referring to the bad parts. That's a, that's a constant <laughs> kind of source of frustration for me with, with Shakespeare. Is it, It's like the one piece of old lit that I feel like just doesn't get updated at all, and still everyone's supposed to read it as though, oh, well, this is... This is a crackerjack idea. You know, this is like visionary. No, I mean, I like like the cadence of the speech. I just think, you know, when you have two full pages of references to a myth that nobody follows anymore, yeah, you just cut that. You don't need that. I don't even like the manner of the speech. There there was, I took a film class once and not much stuck with me, but one of the things that stuck with me was that like, in order to make it in theater, you have to, you have to consider what your audience is. You, You can't sell iambic pentameter anymore and expect it to go over well because the 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 style is different the uh you know that it has to be it has to be able to appeal to a modern uh sensibility and in a weird way i feel like shakespeare is the only one where like nobody even fucking tries (laughs) they're just like hey every eighth grade english class read you know read macbeth and tell me how it relates to your life i'm like i i I, do, I don't, like, because the only way that it relates to my life is that now I've read Macbeth like every other jag off in, <laughs> in, in, in middle school. Like, I can't get much out of, like, these, like, this, this, this weird, like, gender allegory through, through, through three witches talking about the evils of a woman because, like, I can't fucking understand what they're saying. And they're trying to say it in a rhyming schema that doesn't quite work because it was used at a time where English was very different. Like, they're just like, it's too little. No, see, see, I've seen enough, uh, you know, live performances of Shakespeare where a really good performance can get through most of that. I'm just saying that, like, there's chunks that require editing out no matter how good an actor you are. Yeah, maybe both of them is true in some sense. Yeah. I didn't mean to get into a Shakespeare tangent. Shakespeare hole. What I was saying is the plot lines are eternal here. Right. Like uh, like Romeo and Juliet's love. Um, yeah, you're like, so oh, like, we've yeah. been kicked out of our home by these three people who mean us ill. We need to take mm-hmm. our home back. We can't confront them directly. You know, let's let's find a solution. That's one of those ones that, like, I, I really like 
the, that that kind of highlights something that I really like about the Canker Sisters is it requires all the Eds to work together. Yeah, and use their own talents and like plan ahead and like we're on their side because they're not grifting people. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I definitely agree. They should show up occasionally, but not all the time. It's kind of like it's it's you know it, when they are trying to scam the others, like that's a lower priority than try than survival, which is mm-hmm. what the Canker Sisters showing up is is framed as. Mm-hmm. And it it when they have the right priorities, the Eds are a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. But when they're scamming people, Ed and Double D and Eddie have very different priorities, and they don't necessarily work well together. Yeah, and like when the when the Canker Sisters are closing in on them, and they're on a you know the bank of a river. And Eddie will, like, throw one of them into the river as a raft and use the other one as a paddle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's it's teamwork, but it's also very like self... Kind of, uh, what's yeah. the word? Uh, God, what's the word? Uh, autoerotic. <laughs> yeah, it's very autoerotic. <laughs> right. In the Shakespearean sense. Yeah, using him like a paddle. Yes. Self-interested. Flogging, torture things. Um, in any case, yeah, I, I like the I like the Canker Sisters in this show. Like, I don't I'm hard pressed to find any weaknesses of the show because I, I think it is actually really tight and artistically is very unique in a way that appeals to me. I, I won't say that it's like flawless or polished in certain ways, but like it it is very unique. Yeah, it, it just needs a little more fleshing out of some characters. I really, now that we're rounding out the characters, I kind of want to discuss, uh, maybe not discuss, but just like recollect that in addition to these kind of great thematic things with all the characters and like the ways they fit into the Ed's lives and how all of the relationships feel a little different, Mm -hmm. they also have a lot to nail them down, which is going to go against the floatiness in the animation and the actual plot is that these are very well-defined characters. And it works because the show is character-driven. You know, the the you have your plot formula, and that's fine. You can follow that, but the actual interactions are what's driving things forward and providing most of the jokes. Like it, And you have five seasons with only 12 characters. You get to know them really well. Right, and, and it, the specificity with which you know these characters, I think, is pretty exceptional. Like... You know, the Ed, certainly, Ed loves chickens, he watches monster movies, he's a slob, you know, he's got a lot of different things to him, he wears his coat on at all manner, uh, at all hours of the summer, you know, it's, it's just very, he, he doesn't actually tend to, uh, uh, what I think is, is, is kind of neat is that Double D will frequently kind of change costume because it's necessary for a situation, and Ed very rarely does. Yeah, which side of the personality is he going to bring to the forefront to move the plot along? Is he going to be so obsessed with cleanliness that he won't go through with this plan? Will he be so interested in applying this cool new gadget he made that he doesn't care that he is hurting people? Like, yeah, Double D is more adaptable. Ed is Ed is the rock. The... Uh... And so just to give a couple points of reference for specificity, Ed loves chickens, Eddie hates birds. Weird specificity that comes up over and over again. The bro- the brother idol worship comes up again and again. Double D has the, you know, cleanliness, neat freak, OCD stuff that is a little rote, and it's a little bit lazy. 
but they have this nice detail of like him labeling everything in his room but it's it's in a way that is distinct from how i've seen like maybe it's just turned up yeah, to 11 so instead of bed he will write sack yeah oh, or instead sack. of cactus he writes jim because it's the name of his cactus sure like so it's, it's got a little personality to it mm-hmm. um and it it fits in with the fact that he communicates to his parents through sticky notes yeah so that's how the personality parents. the personality has to come across like that and it make it it makes sense yeah and and you can get those that specificity with all the other characters. Like, it's not as much as with the Eds, because we see them most of the time, but you're aware of Jimmy's, you know, very feminine fascinations. He spends a lot of time preening, and, uh, you know, um, he, he enjoys playing with dolls just like Sarah does. And Sarah, when with Jimmy, actually behaves like her age, does not fly into a rage she's just a she's just a kid who's playing with dolls Mm -hmm. you know um and you can take any of these traits and spin them off into a full episode you know it'll work yep like there's a jimmy needs to be manly episode right yeah eat eat a bunch of peaches and cream what's that eat a bunch of peaches and cream i don't remember that (laughs) i think he just kept eating until he was super fat and then they were like uh it's not quite uh sumo wrestling yeah let's do that (laughs) I don't recall that one. That must have been a new run. So uh, I, I think we're good to go into tone and genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to go a little bit more in depth on the unrealistic and otherworldly presentation of this show. Yeah, these fantastical elements, which sometimes just take place inside of the characters' own minds, but sometimes are very real. <laughs> and it's difficult to tell which is which. Yeah, so like if... If something big is happening and then a, a new character enters the scene and asks what's going on, it will shunt to like, oh, they're just like imagining it and doing this other thing. Uh, but sometimes a new character enters in and gets like hoisted up onto a balloon like, oh, no, this is going on. <laughs> There's an episode of Rugrats that is, is pretty prominent in my memory where uh, Tommy, they're all given bottles of milk because they're babies. I don't know why that show appealed to people, appealed to people myself included. But Tommy gets a bottle of chocolate milk. And the setup right. of the episode is that all the guys are watching a football game. So they're not watching the kids. So the kids all fight over the chocolate milk and they're tossing the bottle to each other. And it like they, they shift back to back and forth from just kids playing and just kids like kind of fighting over a bottle and kids fighting over a football like with helmets and everything, right? Right. Yeah, and so like that's sort of the the that's sort of the dynamic that we get here is like it shifts to this thing that is mostly similar, but is definitely not our world. Mm-hmm. And then once that illusion is broken, we're like, oh, it was just them playing. It was just them with their imaginations. Do you have an example? Because I don't think it happens to that to that same extent. I think it's a much it's much more localized. Um, like, uh-huh. like when in, uh, when they build a city out of cardboard yeah, and, um, Johnny misses plank. I'm trying to remember this. And so he steals Eddie's jar of quarters and climbs to the top of a building like King Kong and thre- it's like a hostage situation. <laughs> I forgot about it. <laughs> and they'll do like the cop, like flashing lights and stuff, but then you cut down and the flashing lights are just Ed's with 
it just ed with flashlights yeah. and instead of like a loudspeaker double d has like a traffic cone yeah a traffic cone that he's speaking into on one side yeah so like i don't know if it's back and forth so much as like everyone's agreeing on this heightened sense of reality there's a there's i mean like there is the one episode where they try to take stuff apart that's true that that's i'm gonna call that an edge case i'm gonna call that an ed case Okay, that's fair. I I mean, like, I don't mean the exact sense of scope that the Rugrats episode did. Um, but, you know, back to that Calvin and Hobbes point of this is this is how we see the world, even though we're aware that it's not the way the world really is, because we're 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 making we're making fun. We're we're playing pretend. Mm-hmm. And that, that does happen a lot. Like the junkyard is a space adventure scene. Do you remember that? Like, they, they all go to the junkyard to, like, start something, and they kind of have a, a, like, a space adventure fight amongst yeah, the themselves. power of imagination stuff. And I, I don't remember what the actual point of that episode was, because they just go through a bunch of different, like, first they're pretending to be space explorers, and then they're playing King of the Hill, and then they, like, find this old abandoned, like, truck, and, like, hang out on the waterbed, and the horn plays the cucaracha. Like, they're just having fun <laughs> in a junkyard, and this is the whole episode. Yeah. Uh, I I didn't see it as much. Um, I think I saw much more of a like, you know, heightened experience stuff, and a lot of that comes through in just like the sound effects. Um, There's a one of my favorite scenes is mm-hmm. the episode where Eddie loses his voice. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> and like he needs to communicate with a bell, and Rolf knows how to interpret animals who have bells around their necks, so they keep on asking Rolf what Eddie means, and it's always insane and like something that Eddie clearly doesn't want to do. Right. Uh, so Eddie eventually hides in his room, and Rolf said, "Eddie's too hot. He needs to cool off." They push a refrigerator, an open refrigerator, through the through the window, and crank it to the coldest setting, and you start to see snowflakes fall around him, and he like <laughs> huddles up in his blanket and starts to walk toward his his bedroom window. And, like, it pans out, and it, he's, like, on Hoth. Like, there's just, like, this yes. huge, this huge nonsense, like, uh, like miles-long, w- like, icy wilderness in every direction with just, like, this Eddie bundled up in a blanket just trudging through all the footprints behind him. Like, this, like, kind of Christmassy music. It's very funny. Yeah, you're right. That, that, that does happen a bit. Yeah, so, like, th- there are moments where it does flip between... We're in our world, and now we're kind of not in our world anymore, but, like, we all know the score, so just go with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I thought that a really strong through line was the sense of karmic justice in this world. So we saw this a little bit in Cat Dog, and it does kind of play into the idea of, like, a purgatory, but, like, the scams end poorly, generally. Right. And yeah. the worse Eddie is willing to be, the worse things uh, uh, turn back on him. Like, uh, there was one episode where they're, like, trying to get to the, the store to get jawbreakers on free jawbreaker day. And Eddie is, like, <clears throat> like sacrificing Double D and Ed in order to get an advantage in terms of getting there faster. Uh-huh. And, like, oh, they're almost there when suddenly a stampede of chickens crosses the street and Double D is about to get swept away, and he's like, Eddie, he- Eddie, help me, get me. And Eddie's like, but Job the free jawbreakers. Yeah, I remember and, that. And he rushes to the, sco- the store, and the store closes just in time. Right so in like, front of him. 
this this justice, this way how Eddie's attempts to gain money and gain favor with his peers backfire, and it's only like in the movie when he learns that he's been wrong that he's accepted. Like I I think that's a very strong moral like dimension of the show that is not generally at the forefront. I don't I don't think that's necessarily true. I no? I think that no, I think the Eds are universally the three of them are they have bad you know outcomes happen to them um kind of all three of them it ed enjoys the outcomes because he's just happy to be their coach the eddie kind of views it as like a personal tale of woe and like why can't i win for once like he's very he, he very much wears the victim hat in those cases and double d just sort of accepts and moves past it i found more often than not it's like oh that sucks but you know we're still okay so another tomorrow's another day like i think it's just that they each treat the same circumstance in different ways um in some circumstances i'm thinking of other like examples where like you know they get kicked out of the house and they go to live with rolf and they take advantage of rolf's hospitality right and it comes back on them when rolf just starts like threatening them and making them do his chores right which and like that episode just has a long sequence of rolf like slowly losing his mind s- losing his mind swarm of locusts not that being is able the to sleep doing the dishes long into the night like oh, yeah you really feel for the guy you do and like uh, okay so, so maybe it's not that there isn't karmic justice it's just that it's not i don't think it's particular to eddie well it's particular to the eds because they're like, all they're all part of it. They're all complicit. They're the instigators. You know that that's where the hijinks come from. Is that they they fuck up in some weird way, and it comes back on them. I, I guess I would agree that there is a sense of karmic justice. I think that it is interesting that they each process it in very different ways. Yeah, yeah. Because like, I and you don't always get to see it because a lot of times that's when the episode ends. Right. They get like locked up in a cage for some reason and everyone just politely ignoring them. Mm-hmm. So they're just kind of hanging out in a cage, and that's where the episode ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see it. Or like when they were trying to, oh God, what happened? They're in a race with each other, and Rolf will award the winner a jawbreaker, but it's like Rolf's rules of a race. So like oh yeah, so weird. it's Calvin Ball. It's a little Calvin Ball, and like Double D and Eddie spend most of their time finding ways to like hurt each other and stop each other from progressing, whereas Ed just goes and grabs the like Ed's not hurting anybody, and so he gets rewarded. Sure, kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe so. I don't, I, I don't I, think that it's. I think it was that. subtle enough. Like, it yeah. gave me the sense that a lesson was being learned by the audience, but not hitting it over the head with it like it would in like a, you know, like a South Park or something. Sure, I, I, I guess I would agree to that. Uh, I, I think we've mostly gone over the different kinds of tone and genre with this show. Um, do we want to go into animation? There is so much to say about the audio and the animation in this show. I want to start off with something that is kind of a through line that doesn't always maybe it's not a it's a specific thing, but it's not something that's uh, concrete. So um, what I really love about the surreal humor in this show is that it doesn't go anywhere like it. (laughs) It's it's for its own self. It's for its own sake. So let let me give a couple points in animation and there's going to be a couple points in dialogue as well. And these are oh. This is pure, <laughs> uh, this is uncut, this is just, this is the pure stuff. Like, this is what I do, this is what I want cartoons to be a lot of the time. It's just like, give me, 
the zaniest thing you can think of and don't justify it and it's just <laughs> fucking there make it consistent make it make sense in their world but don't yeah, explain but just, it just put it there and just like leave it there's there's two circumstances that i'm thinking specifically in where uh the eds are doing like a, a pet service like maintenance uh dog washing kind of business for all mm-hmm. of rolf's animals yep and they're washing these chickens and they like when when double d is on the end of like the kind of washing line and he picks up the chickens and hangs them on a line like clothes like he hangs them on a clothesline by their feet and like you know <laughs> Uh, like he like draws the uh, the clothesline farther so he can put more chickens on there, and just like that image of him just very calmly lifting chickens out of this water tub and hanging them up to be dried, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's just very funny to me. And it it immediately shifts away from that to something else. Yeah, it does not stay there. Um, um do you do you have any examples for that? Because I've got one more as well, but I want to give you a chance. Um. I don't know. I always think of Ed's basement and the the horrors that lurk within. <laughs> yeah, Ed's basement is very good. Um, where like Eddie will just say, "Ed, why don't you eat your bed?" And he just will. <laughs> and like the mouth <laughs> stretching around the bed, and like him just slowly like herking forward bit by bit because you can't do that like seamlessly. You know, it's not like right. a cake. Um. <laughs> And he just becomes this rectangular Ed boy. Like, yeah. Like, and wh- why are we doing that? Yeah, like, what's the, what does that add? <laughs> the, the extent reason is because it is a funny looking thing. Yes. There, there, there's no reason for the character to do it. There's no reason for the character to say to do it. It doesn't have any sort of outcome. It's just fucking there. Mm-hmm. There's another one. And I think this is my favorite example is uh, in that Eddie loses his voice episode he pantomimes quite well that he wants to he wants a piece of paper and rolf gets out a piece of paper from his pocket and then eddie again pantomimes quite well that he wants something to write on the paper (laughs) and rolf just like nods and he's like yes eddie sure and he grabs a husk of corn and gives it to eddie who flips it around and starts very self-satisfied trying to write on the paper and he like looks at it he's like what 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 is going on like why why did you Like, just looks at him, like, incredulous. Like, how could this be the decision you reached? And again, with that Marx Brothers shit, like, start normal, go off the rails, and then look back on it. It's like, how did this happen? Mm-hmm. How did we get here? How did we get here? Yeah, it's it's really great. Uh, when they become aware of, like, how far things have gone. Yeah, and, like, again, goes nowhere. End of conversation. It's just, like, <laughs> we want to be weird. Here you go. Um, I mentioned... Uh, Ed's basement, like his room, and I wanted to mention how much their rooms represent who they are. Yeah. Um, you know, because you have Ed's, you know, dank basement covered in movie posters and like covered and littered with comic books and old food. You got double D's. Everything's properly labeled, like you said. Everything's neat in its place. We got a bunch of science stuff. And then Eddie's room is like this weird bachelor pad like he's austin it's, powers like that it's, rounded yeah, bed that round bed ball. you lay upon our roundish bed <laughs> yeah it's it's a 70s like swanky swingers yes. paradise that like no one except him finds cool but he finds it cool because his brother found it cool exactly kind of like the kind of like with johnny bravo and he's like reciting 80s like buff man uh pickup lines because he thinks that's what works mm-hmm and it's become so ingrained in his psyche that he thinks it's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, 
That's a good point. And it also goes into explaining kind of the delightfully insane color palette in this show. Oh, because, yeah. Because every different scene, depending on where we're at and what time of day it is and what we're trying to parody and what we're trying to say, it feels like it goes through a different kind of filter. A little bit, yeah. If we're in Ed's basement, it's got like these kind of sickly orange, or, or they, it's got these like sickly yellow and greens to everything. This is a place of decay. This is a, yeah, it's a place of decay. If it's nighttime, we have nice like a like a purple filter over everything. There was like a in the water tor in the aforem- aforementioned water torture <laughs> scene. Everything kind of has that cop blue filter over everything. Yeah. Um. So like the filtering of the colors really sets a scene pretty well um and it's also like i don't know like it or, or like in when they're in the swimming hole and everything takes on that yellowish orangish tint and it just like oh this is a very hot summer day and you now see that in the entirety of the scene as opposed to characters telling you how hot it is the intentionality of what we are seeing really just comes through again and again the closer you look like Remember those boiling lines that all the characters have that makes them kind of vibrate in, in and it gives them life? The backgrounds yeah. don't have it. The houses, right. the mailbox, the the grass. It's great for distinguishing the foreground from the background when the color palette, like you say, is similar and nonsensical. Like, it, it's, sky it's can be whatever color. Faces, tongues, houses, grass even. Like, whatever color you want. It's particular though, like it. it that's not like across the. No, they each have their own subsection, true. but like, you know, hit random on any of those subsections. If you're in an environment, like the coloring of objects is, uh, I don't think very consistent, and it because it's inconsistent presentation, it doesn't bother me. But I definitely noticed a bunch of circumstances where, like, we've got a wall, and it's a very particular shade of green, and in that wall, you can see this clock jutting out of it. And it is the exact same shade of green. Like it just looks like it's part of the wall mm-hmm. because it doesn't. It isn't colored in separate from the wall. Like I, I saw that shit happen a lot with like mailboxes or you know um, or, or fences or like just minor objects in the background where it's just the same color as the much larger area. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just maybe like a lazy, didn't happen to color it in sort of thing. But what I like is that it is not out of place because of that it's just something i noticed yeah like you like the backgrounds aren't as important as the setting and if they're getting across what the setting is through a filter or through interaction they don't need the background to stand out how do you feel about the different tongue colors so this is described as um by by antonucci as you know you go around and kids are always sucking on some candy that turns their tongue a weird color so he wanted to (laughs) this also plays into the conspiracy theory that they're dead the idea being that zombies would be discolored excepting Um, the canker sisters i think yeah yeah that's right who can't afford candy it's very sad well i don't think that's okay um (laughs) okay so you know it's it's definitely something that the mind is drawn to you know when people are describing the way that the show looks that's one of the first things they come to i think it's less important than a lot of the other touches i agree like it actually almost feels extraneous to the point of uh distraction like here here's a little touch that i think did a lot um on the front of their shirts to 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 show that there is wrinkling or like a natural fit there's like a bold font z oh really yeah anytime they're like not like grabbing their shirts and pulling them down their shirts will be bunched up a little at the bottom oh, with just yeah. just a single big z 
and it tells you how the shirt fits on them. Ah, uh, yeah, I guess that's true. And I've never seen it anywhere else, but it's brilliant because it's so easy to do to give them that that feel. Yeah, that that's a good point. Yeah, um, is it even uh, apparent? Like, I would be interested to see if that was also the case for Double D's shirt. I don't remember. I think it's localized. Uh, I think it depends on certain circumstances. Sure. Um, one of the other main things I wanted to talk about was the things they build. Yeah. Yeah, they're double D has more like appliances, but usually they're building stuff out of cardboard. Yeah, this is some real kids next door two by four technology stuff. But it shows a ton of imagination. Oh yeah. Like I said, they build a city um, out of you know, cardboard boxes for 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 skyscrapers. Yeah. But they'll also do like much smaller scale. Like they can build a water dunk tank, and you're looking at it, and like you can see. That this is made from scrap wood and like uh, somebody's like backyard small like chill like kiddie pool, right? And like you can see all of the little details. There's a there's in the episode where they clean all those animals. They're all using like 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 pretty slip like pretty uh, slapdash, um, you know whatever was in the garage, including power tools in order to make that like so. Um, the, the the there's like a conveyor belt with chickens going through a sort of chicken car wash <laughs> kind of thing and it's it's just like a bunch of different strips strips of rub, rubber that are roughly sewn together in the shape of a of a of a large conveyor belt um on some axles that look like they're scrap metal like it just all the pieces of it do look like they were just found in the garage that morning similar thing when they made the uh, automatic potato peeler where it's oh, this, yeah. this big monstrosity, and you watch the potato go through, and you see how it gets peeled, how it gets washed, how it gets cut, how it gets like yeah fried. Um, yeah, just a just a lot, just going extra. I'm reminded of um, I don't know if you watched or played any of Yoshi's Crafted World, the new game. No, I don't even know what that is. It's a Yoshi game for babies, but like okay, you know, it's got you know classic Yoshi gameplay, or whatever. But the really awesome thing is everything is built out of, like, paper mache and, like, ribbon. And, like, you can see everything kind of come out of stuff. Like, the character models are made out of felt, like, stuffed animal yeah. type stuff. It's it's really crazy, and it's exactly what Ed and Eddie does, just on a much lower budget for Ed and Eddie. <laughs> yeah. I And, I, I you know, I really, again, with the Calvin and Hobbes thing, like, they're, they're they have high ideals for what they are doing they they have they have purpose and there is an end goal in sight and they're not going to be stopped by flimsy concerns such as practicality or what is available yeah um so that and like here's our goal well what do we have in order to accomplish that goal well we can make it work Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah i'm I'm a big I'm a big fan of that particular brand of and it's good environmental storytelling of like the cul-de-sac is not what you would call a moneyed location. Like these, I, I would almost certainly make the argument that the kids living in the cul-de-sac do not come from money. Which is weird because a cul-de-sac is usually like a suburb or something. So I think this is more of just like it's a cul-de-sac because it limits them. It does limit them. It feels like kind of a 50s Levittown situation. Sure. But uh, that maybe that's just my my personal beat on it. But it, it does look like they don't have necessarily, um, they they can't you know order a part. They have to make it. Mm-hmm. 
and and they do it so consistently that it does feel like part of the world building i think my favorite thing about this animation in this show is if you compare a still like a single frame of um you know an ed and eddie character versus a character in like i don't know like danny phantom or something it's not apparent that ed and eddie is better or more special or more engaging you know danny phantom's gonna be more sleek he's gonna be stylish he's gonna you know he's gonna look cool it's because it is animation it is because of that movement that ed and eddie is so uh so unique, I think, even among cartoons of that era, and even compared to some cartoons today, I think it's really has a really strong focus on that craft. It it goes back into the part where you were saying that they first built how they would look, how they like would move, they, how they would move before they started kind of sketching out the characters like more specifically. I I don't think we went over it this iteration of the curse carton cast the carton cast curse but like we should mention that part of the animation that's really great is the way that they that they all move um specifically the way they run we talked about ed with the 90 degree backward we talked about eddie kind of with the arms forward thing uh we didn't talk about double d which i think is like also really iconic Mm -hmm. about like he's got like the arms like the elbows horizontally from his body kind of like power walking thing and his legs are just like little limp noodle strips of spaghetti as he, like, he, he doesn't have knees. It, like, it, it just, you, like, it waddle. It's a waddle. It gives you the impression that he learned what running is from a book. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> it is very good. And they also have, like, different standing poses. Like, uh, Eddie, like, and Kevin both have, like, their shoulders really high up, almost kind of defensive. Mm-hmm. Um. And, you know, Ed is much more slouching, as he probably should be. Um, Rolf is kind of always has his arms out, like, ready to do physical labor. It's just, like, I, I know we talked about it already, that they're, they're, they're posed and animate differently. But I wanted to get in, I wanted to just touch on the specifics of that mm-hmm. and how much it adds to those characters. And that level of detail and personality, you know, you could call that a trade-off with why the roster is so static. You know, that why you don't get new characters. But I think they turned that into a strength as well. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. It's all about finding that balance. Yeah, I, th- I think let's, the animation in the show is really bold. Let's talk about dimensions how many, of objects. How many do you want? I- I'll take as many as you're willing to give, Professor. I will but- give you three usually and two when it suits me. that's it that is fair uh the first point of this the outlines you don't have to color in the outlines in fact you shouldn't color in the outlines what do you what do you mean the very regularly the outlines are there they're bold outlines and colors just like kind of are not strictly confined to them (laughs) you know like it's uh it's very much like wendy's play mat with a crayon when you're five kind of stuff is like you, you get where the colors are supposed to go and that's close enough but like just just kind of removing it a little bit gives it a very nice stylized feel similar to um in a scanner darkly how they had that um they had that one they had the 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 it the oh what was it called the something interpolation i can't remember what it was but the idea of it was that you had real life models and cartoon models and you kind of tried to find the average between them (laughs) 
and it gave it this very bold stylized feel right. so like it's it's not photorealistic it's a step backward technically in the same way that coloring outside the lines is like that's not technically correct but it it makes it it makes it feel unique and mm-hmm. daring and that's you know there was nothing there wasn't anything that looked like this and and to clarify i think that's true of like the backgrounds and certain objects i think the characters you know you can find animation of before they added color and you get the entire you know you can you can see them moving and it's identical to to you know the color doesn't add anything to their movements right but but it it does point out like the the fact that the outlines are malleable does mm-hmm. add to this sense of dimensions of objects are like the, the our our reality is more guidelines yeah than our, we're rules. we're living on the edge we're we're living on and around the edge um uh, and those edges uh what what i want to say is that like the dimensions of objects are malleable to such an extent that it's ridiculous like look at That's all the true. characters their out their eyes are outside of their heads in Often. some cases, not connected to their heads. Right, yeah, when, when Ed gets excited and his yeah, when he gets excited, eye and eyebrow like wander off. off. <laughs> yeah, they wander off. The laws of squeeze and stretch kind of govern objects like Very houses. 30s. So that they're the, the like the roof clatters, if you've got like a cloud of violence in there, then like the, the trailer or the house will like hop back and forth as the roof comes off and then comes back in and it stretches and squeezes and you get a real sense of impact there. If something explodes in a house, it's going to look like that house is sneezing. Not not like looking like a person sneezing, looking like a house sneezing. Yeah, it's very clear that that's a house (laughs) sneezing. And my favorite thing is that they, they, they don't respect the dimensions of objects relative to other objects. Like I said, with Ed going through that small hole in the uh, mm-hmm. in the fence to get through, there's a lot of examples exactly like that. Yeah. Because so, why not? Uh, <laughs> why Eddie, wouldn't you just be able to do that? Let me give a couple examples. Eddie is eating a burger, and he stops to pull out a gear that he somehow managed to fit into his mouth despite it being larger than his head. Yeah. And then reluctantly, and then just nonchalantly throws it aside. When they put a jawbreaker in their mouth, in their cheeks, yes. it is like having a second head. <laughs> it's Zaphod Beeblebrox. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's straight up Zaphod. Um, there's a scene where, there, where we know that Ed has to go clean the toilet, and he opens the lid from the inside of the toilet with a submarine helmet on. He, like, there's not enough water in that tank. Right. There's 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 no way Ed's body fits in there. It's again with the puddle thing. Like like they just don't they they like the the dimensions of objects are just very um yeah, it's like a magic suggestible. Trick. Yeah, yeah, almost yeah, it's like it's like uh Danny Antonucci is like doing some classic Cirque du Soleil misdirection up there. The great Antonucci. Hey, forget about it. Don't don't look at this bit. Look at this bit. And then when we look back Suddenly, all the Eds fit in a three centimeter, three square centimeter box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, yeah, that happens on and, a very frequent basis. And very deliberate tricks with the camera to that effect as well. You, you know, in the first episode when Double D opens the door and somebody throws a fish at him, and then later he opens the door and Eddie comes in. There's no way if you're looking at a neutral yeah. camera that you wouldn't see that it's Eddie throwing it. But because mm-hmm. it's just a close-up on Double D's face getting hit with a fish, 
it maintains that illusion. And like in that scene, in the intro, and very frequently, like Dutch angles. Yeah, what, I love what it. cartoons have Dutch angles? <laughs> yeah, this, it's <laughs> who so does good. this? It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that, that is that is oh, like look at the intro. Ed grabs the camera. Oh my that god, is with the force filming ball stuff. Yeah, and sets it down, and it's crooked. Come on, intro. We got to do it. How did like this is so Zane? We, there's oh. so much here. <laughs> no, we got to talk about the intro. Yeah, holy so this, shit, dude! This uh, theme was inspired by the Bob Crosby song "Big, Big Noise from Winnetka." Yeah, it's it's horns and whistles, very much like '40s jazz. Again, with the eras being malleable and meaning different things. Like this, is just it's from a decade that is not the show. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like it's uh, it's just from something else. But yeah, it's like jazz horns and whistles, and I think uh, Antonucci himself did the whistling. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, uh, when he was pitching the show, he didn't try and explain what the show would be about. He just showed this. Yeah, that's what I heard as well. <laughs> and like, it this is as much as I think you need. Um, but like more, like you said, the focus is on the ads. We see very clearly in a very small amount of screen time their dynamic and their distinct personalities. And he's mm-hmm. got a hair trigger temper. Ed is a lovable oaf who doesn't really uh, doesn't really worry about things too much, and Double D is the perfectionist who is is trying to, you know, trying to keep, kind of hold it all together. Yeah, yeah, which is probably why he's in the middle. Yeah, um, gosh, I don't know if I can say enough good things about this intro. Like, this is one of the better cartoon intros that I know of. It's short and sweet, and it sounds good, and it tells you what you need to know, and there's no fat on it. It's just so good. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, it just really is, and the that music that it uh, provides, that sort of big band jazz, uh, that mm-hmm. that is maintained into the show, in a in a little bit. Like, the jazz is much more free jazz in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a ton of hit points there's a ton of like somebody falls and there's a musical accompaniment to that so it's very looney tunes in that way when double d goes down the stairs to answer the doorbell in that first scene bum, bum, you get bum, the bum, hit bum, there. yep you know uh, you you get yeah. uh in particular like snare drum bass and horns will follow the action and the flow of a scene and like the ends of sentences get punctuated with sharp sounds yeah, like uh, Eddie will like come up with like a master plan and then like start relating it like in hushed tones, and it'll like be kind of like a finishing chord, like a like a high tension, like wow. And it's so specific to everything they're doing and saying. It's uh, it reminds me of like the accompaniment from a vaudeville routine or a silent film, like a yeah. like a Chaplin thing. You can, oh totally. Y- you can watch this show without the dialogue, and it makes perfect sense. The I'm music clip, is doing all that work. I'm going to clip in a uh, example that I think demonstrates that really well, where uh, they're playing a game of uh, Truth or Dare. Mm-hmm. Okay, I dare you, Eddie, to sprout the wings of a bat and stomp like a zombie while whistling, roll, 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 you're both doing water wash. Yeah, that kind of the reverberation <laughs> into like, what the fuck are you talking about? And both of them just staring at him like he's an idiot, like. In just he, like he's insane and um I'll, and I'll put that in that's a really good one um 
you know, a lot of times when he when Ed goes off on those tangents, it'll do his sort of horror movie late motif. Rolf gets a hell of an Eastern European oh, late yeah. motif. Yes, he does. Of, it's not like it's like a it's like umpa. Your kitchenware is larger than Papa's nasal wart. You have made the merry Andrew of Rolf. Feast your eyes on Rolf's customary dress, sewn together from the membrane of the great sea cucumber. The fittings were excruciating. It's not even a specific song so much as it just imbues the character of everything else that's happening in the music. Mm -hmm. Um, And even when nothing is happening, there's like an oboe or a bassoon that just like wanders a melody. (laughs) Like the yeah. yeah, there's a lot of good ones there. Uh, the, there's a really good hit point of like uh, them all trying to run and hide behind a uh, a telephone pole, mm-hmm. and it goes like that. Does that like da na da na da na da na na? And then like Ed tries to hide behind it and runs into it and goes like da na da na na da <laughs> like the like the drum the the drum snare like the drum roll followed by the crunch of him hitting the thing with a bunch of like popping brass to accompany it multiple times and it it does so much work like I'm amazed that every part of this show exceeds expectations the the sound design is impeccable yeah um yeah. I do I, I want to I'm sorry go ahead well oh just we I was gonna scooch into dialogue a little. Let me let me go a little bit farther into the sound effects because there's one bit that I think that you are not touching on, which mm. goes back to that surreal humor that doesn't go anywhere, where a lot of the incidental sound effects to accompany the appearances of objects, like it doesn't require that the object actually verbs in right. a way that would make a sound. Like it's just this is a sound that is associated with object. The object is not doing a thing that makes the sound. We are telling you. That we're just like, uh, let me give like, some examples. Like somebody backs up and it makes a truck backing up sound. But yes. even beyond it's that, a that's a very normal that. thing. That's a normal thing. They go further. There, when Eddie takes that gear out of his mouth, it is accompanied by like sounds of gears churning together. Uh huh. In like a uh, you know like somebody is doing some mechanical work, but there's nothing for the gear to make noise against. So like it it's just like a leitmotif for the object almost. Yeah, it's like. It's it's an abstraction of the thing you're doing. Ed Ed will be copying down a note, like mimicking Double D's parents' handwriting. And when he's done writing the note, it's a typewriter sound. Yep. It, it doesn't even need to be abstract in that. Like it can be it it can be abstract, which is fun, but it can also go full surreal. <laughs> like okay, so the abstract bit is Double D is trying to decide the right angle of attack to eat a grapefruit. And we get, like, bomb countdown timer noises to when he's actually going to, like, stab the thing. Mm -hmm. Which is, that's good abstract, a good abstract bit there. But, like, it goes full just surreal nonsense at at times. Like, uh, Ed gets an allergic reaction to rabbits. And so he starts breaking out with a bunch of mottled purple kind of growths on his his body. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I am mutating. And the sound effects that goes with that is futuristic computer noises sure like uh, and like there's not a direct reference even in an abstract way there it's just like this is something sci-fi here's another thing that's sci-fi but it sells it it sells and it does this in the dialogue as well especially when ed's talking where it's not gonna 
directly connect things all the time, sometimes it'll go two or three away from it. And right. just assume that you as the audience can catch enough where you're like, okay, that's <laughs> that's not a thing I or a normal person would have thought of, but I read right. it. <laughs> right. Um, like, uh, usually there's stuff that Ed says, and I'm trying to think of a good specific example because I didn't write one down. Oh, um, well, this is this is more of like the one the one step removed uh, thing where uh, you know Double D will say like I'm famished, and then Ed will say I'm famine, and then Eddie will say you're drought. <laughs> yeah, and they kind of play <laughs> off each other in a like ad lib warm up to doing a improvisational theater kind of routine kind of way. Uh, we should talk about the dialogue. Yeah, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm still trying to think of an Ed example. Because I know I saw them frequently enough. What, what is the example you're thinking of? Where, like, someone will say something, and he will connect it with something in his head, and then say something that would be that a is ju- related to that the would be connection. a riff from that thing. Yeah, that that is tr- that that can be true. Yeah, I mean, like. Well, maybe maybe we can come back to it if we get to it. I want to talk about the dialogue now, Mm, if that's cool. And I think that this is maybe... This is the strongest and weakest part of the show to me. Okay. Um, At least from, like, when I was younger, this this dialogue... You know, I loved absurd humor. I loved nonsense. I've, I've grown accustomed to some of the more outrageous aspects of it. And what my age is really telling me here is that there's an art to this. Because you can't just spout gibberish. Right. And that means that, like, one of the weaker things, it, like, if I had to ding the show anywhere, it's that when Ed talks, sometimes it's related in some way, and you can follow the trains of logic. Sometimes it is full nonsense, and it's very... It's very much clearly just like non sequitur humor, and that doesn't hold a lot for me anymore. Yeah, you need to be able to connect it with something. Like uh, when they, you know, cure Ed of his when when they when they cure Ed of being like all pa- purple and splotchy from uh, being allergic to rabbits. They're like, we need to protect you from this ra- those rabbits, Ed. And Ed's response is, Jimmy cracked corn, and I don't care. Yeah. What? Where They're like just nothing. There's yeah, nowhere that he got that from, other than wasn't paying attention and just saying a thing that he was thinking. I think so. This is one of those. This is one of those instances where I think there was an intention behind it, and it was too far removed for us to get it. Because crack corn, you know, in theory, like his skin is cracking. No, and he has corns on you're, his you're skin. Reaching. No, that's, that's, what, that's a, what I'm saying. I think that was the intention. I don't know that it was oh. intended to be random. It came across as random because it was too far. It's far too far. Yeah, that's like uh, Kid Muscle telling ice puns in order to defeat that one guy. Like, it's just too many steps removed from what the joke actually needed to be. And, it, and it's tough balance, it and you were rare. already doing fine. Like, you didn't, need to, you didn't need to go out of your way to prove yourself here. It is rare that it doesn't hit at all. But it is, uh, it's, it's, cons- it's something that does happen, and I, I, I do tire of it pretty hard. Also, his catchphrases are not my favorite anymore. Yeah. He, but buttered toast, gravy, I love chickens. 
this show is better than catchphrases, so I, I didn't really need that, and it, it sort of felt like it detracted from the generic, generally great dialogue. I think it's hard to write good, consistent dialogue for a character where not a whole lot's going on upstairs. Maybe. I don't know. Like, there's some parts that make me laugh out loud. Like, uh, that episode where the Kanker sisters are, are parked on their lawn, and the other Ed's constantly ask him like tell him that's really something i would have expected from you ed and he just like very mournfully just like it's really something i wanted to do yeah (laughs) it's just and you know that's a bit of dialogue that is very uh it's very genteel very genuine coming from a place of you know it 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 informs us about his character and is funny in its own right and they he generally fits that area um but it, it just occasionally yeah, and I mean, at Double D has this too, where sometimes, you know, he'll do, like, advanced scientific talk, and that's a, a sore point that we've hit before. Yes. Um, you know, the, the, they all have the opportunity to go a little oh, too far. They typically he, hold in the reins. You were, you were talking about, like, what is an example of Ed talking uh, with something that's related to the situation at hand, but isn't precisely yeah. what was being remarked on? I think this may be an example where... Uh, where uh, the Kanker sisters are in Eddie's house, and Eddie says, "Okay, here's what you need to do, Ed. Go, uh, go, uh, go get rid of my fish." And he like looks back to where the Kanker sisters were, but it's just the fish tank. And instead of a live fish there, for some reason, there's like a fish skeleton in there. And Ed's response is, "Should I put them in a plastic bag?" <laughs> it is like it's not precise, like. He missed, Eddie was asking a different thing. Yeah, he he missed that the conversation had moved on. Yeah, or or he went forward with the conversation that is now happening, even though it wasn't related to what was going mm-hmm. on before. Yeah, it's it's a similar thing. Uh, so that is the exception that proves the rule, which is, I think that Rolf's dialogue is that good, that non sequitur, uh, kind of absurdist dialogue, and it it's. Like, that that does accomplish the art of this. It's like when you're trying to come up with, like, southern aphorisms for, like, you know, oh, that, yeah. that boy's got too much butter on one side of his biscuit. Like, yeah. it's not a phrase, <laughs> but it easily could good. be. <laughs> but it's from a world that, it's from an old country that has never existed. It so might like, as it well be a you, phrase. It gives you, it gives you, like, the universe yeah. to put that biscuit on. So, so like, like some examples. I wrote down so many examples because I'm enamored with this show. Uh, he will use those kind of old-timey aphorisms that are just from a country that doesn't exist. So, when he's like trying to be intimidating, he'll be he'll say, "Your garden is overgrown and your cucumbers are soft." Yep. Um, when he say when he says something like, uh, "You must be pulling my leg," instead he says, "You must be poking my eggplant." <laughs> which is a new connotation now yeah but what's uh, one of my favorite is, ones is yeah, yeah. when eddie is trying to like say some pseudo spy dialogue to rolf to let him into a place and he's like and he goes gets in real close and shifty and he like kind of puts his hand over his mouth and he's like the crow caws at midnight and rolf's response is and the cat sours the basil Rolf would love to talk politics with you, but I must see your invitation. <laughs> I like, love the idea that that's politics. <laughs> yeah, like, and that's, like, there's two jokes in there. One is, Eddie is saying a thing that is metaphor. It's, like, deep spy metaphor. But and it sounds to Rolf, like, just legitimate 
conversation. Yeah, <laughs> like we're talking about like, animals and their behavior. This is just how this is just how conversations are. This is small talk to him, and then he continues it. So, like, generally, the nonsense dialogue is is like that, where there actually is artistry to it. Yeah, and again, there is that weird meta nonsense of it where like the your cucumbers are soft you will hear that somewhere else in another episode from off stage yep with no context <laughs> yep <laughs> yep like i think that was shouted at the eds when they were trapped in a cage i i believe you are correct <laughs> there's so. a there, there's one more bit of the dialogue that mm-hmm. i think is good and that just relates to a concept that i've already pointed out which is the not the surreal humor that goes nowhere Um, which is that it it is not just in the animation of like writing with a corn cob or whatever. It's also, there's like these throwaway bits of dialogue that are just delightful. In the first episode where they meet the canker sisters and are invited into their house, they're kind of exploring the house and double D goes up to a bookcase and sees a book and he's like, hubcap digest, uh, hubcap digest, intriguing. He opens the book. He's like, this book has no print. These pages are blank. And that, that, that's it. <laughs> that's the entire joke. It's like, what, what the fuck is... Where am I? <laughs> like, And I got to that point when I was rewatching, and I just like laughed out loud so hard because like, <laughs> there's no point to that joke other than I am in a weird location I don't understand. <laughs> but yeah. no one should understand it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how, do you, how do you begin drafting that joke? Like... <laughs> It, it comes from a place of, like, non, not, there's no comedian sensibility that leads you, like, that is a, that's a joke that only works in a cartoon medium. You that can't is, set up that joke at a comedy club. Yeah. That and is you a can't joke that deliver was improvised. it in print. Like, it, like, they're, it feels improvised even though we know it's not. And you can't deliver it in print because the, showing him in that unfamiliar situation and seeing his dismayed, like, sense of revulsion at a book that doesn't have any print to it <laughs> you just can't accomplish that scene anywhere else mm-hmm. and it, like little moments like that really remark on the inventiveness and the artistry that is apparent in this show and we've, yeah. we've gone through so many of them but like it, it is worth pointing out that just even the tiniest of moments is so unique to this particular work mm-hmm yeah, and, I'm and sure things a lot have of shows like have that tried in... to mimic aspects of it and just haven't, you know, haven't fared as well. You know, I'm thinking Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy has a lot of the same, you know, B-movie music aesthetic or, you know, characters super dumb. Like, it just doesn't handle as well. Right. Because, I think there's our because shows. Because so, yeah. so much of the concept and so much of what pushes here is that we know these characters we know what is in the boundary of like the possible and what is outside of it and this show skirts that line you know like a dancer yeah there's there are shows that can do similar things i'm thinking specifically of uh steven universe with the the crying breakfast friends has a similar surreal attitude to it i mean it's a little also parody and like this weird inversion parody sense to it um but uh it's not quite as surreal. Zim has Invader Zim has kind of that surreal attitude to a lot of its jokes, but it doesn't. It, again, it's it's a little bit more grounded in that atmosphere than it is like with the mm-hmm. 
uh, the satire against corporate culture. I'm thinking specifically it's, of like the scary monkey show or, you know, um, the, the, the pizza restaurant that is just horrifying and there's no reason for it to be and it wouldn't appeal to kids. But um, and that's the thing. It's yeah. this is this aesthetic is not too difficult to parody for a short joke. Right. It is damn near impossible to do it for five seasons in a movie. It's uh, like consistently. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very special blend of comedic timing and daringness in the animation mm. style and really knowing how to write compelling characters that a kid can relate to just really fires on all cylinders. I I was going back to this show and trying to be critical as we are wont to do with shows that are a slam dunk. I had a hard time. Like I, I could pick apart the non non sequitur dialogue a little bit, but that's it. Yeah. And it's, it's tricky because I know that there are people who would not like this show. Like I mentioned, you know, my wife who will not, who doesn't like watching people get hurt even if they deserve it. You know, it's not like a cat dog thing. This is, you know, this is a karmic cycle. I can imagine parents not liking it just because it's too wacky and surreal. And if you don't give it the benefit of the doubt, you won't be able to see through the depth. You know, like mm -hmm. it's not for everyone, but for me. And, you know, you can't disentangle this from nostalgia. But for me, this is one of the best cartoons. Yeah. Yeah, I feel a similar way. And I think, like, it unfortunately means that an episode where we talk about one of our favorite things, we are very tempted to pick apart every single thing that we love about it, which means that we didn't really... I don't think we were that funny. But, like, I, I just wanted to give you, everybody out there a honest depiction of my feelings on this show. And so I hope you forgive us for that. But, like... That's what we had to do. And it's justified for this show because of the level of care and attention that was given to each part. Yeah. Like, I, I, the yeah. music and animation alone are masterful. Yeah. And, and I would almost say that the character building is also masterful in its own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up, I think that we should maybe cite a few of our favorite episodes. Maybe not exactly why we loved them, but, like, just... For the listener, if you haven't listened to, the, if you haven't watched this, these are the episodes I would go in on for various reasons because they are very, they're very unique and they give you something that you don't get anywhere else. So, I in particular love the Switcheroo episode where they each act like each other, like Double D acts <laughs> like acts like Ed, Ed acts like Eddie, Eddie acts like Double D, and so like they just kind of that's a fun dynamic that all of them are very familiar with how they sound to each other and like it just it's just fun for them to play around in another person's dynamic for a bit yeah as a dumb kid i tried to do that with my friends and we got mad at each other um, oh of course it's <laughs> actually interesting we, we did that once as an improv exercise to try and do a performance as if we were improvising as somebody else yeah uh and that is that is like a top tier improv talent like it sounds impossible to me um, and the fact that they could do both do that in the show and also retain their own personalities within that, like, it's uh, it kind of comments on the writing of the show where you can have a moment where Double D is acting like Ed and kind of embodying some characteristics of Ed, but that facade cracks under enough pressure and he turns back into Double D. And to get the dialogue for that just right to where we actually feel like that is the dynamic... It's mm -hmm. a very special thing. It's very good writing. Yeah. Uh, I really like the one where the Kankers invade Eddie's home. Yes. I, um, I just watched that one. <laughs> because, you know, they 
it's this weird dynamic because normally they're terrified of the cankers um, and they have to encounter them and they have to overcome them just like mentally they have to find a solution to this problem of which they are super afraid it's kind of like a like it's almost like a horror film where you have to kill the the monster that's invading your home (laughs) yeah it's like hush but then but then you have scenes where you're just looking at the cankers and it's like these are just three sisters who like gremlins they're kind of just mean to each other and aren't bad that's true. Yeah, <laughs> like, they're, just, they're just regular people. <laughs> it's it's yeah. kind of bizarre. Yeah, that is true. Um, I like the episodes where they go full nonsense Calvin and Hobbes otherworldly adventures. Um, like the Junkyard episode. I like the Rashomon episode where Ed, the Eds tell stories to Johnny <laughs> to get him to like let them out of a, uh, out of a hole in the wall or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the episode where they dismantle things in front of them because that really stretches the bounds of what animation can do. I remember Jeremiah was talking about one bit where Eddie like grabs Jimmy's outline and and Jimmy without an outline just like dissolves into a puddle. He's <laughs> <laughs> just so inventive. Yeah. Um, I honestly think the movie is a really great culmination of all of these aspects um, where they give you just enough context to know that the Eds are in trouble, but they don't tell you what they did. You see that, like, Johnny's head is in a vice, and Naz's hair is all shaved off, and uh, a big chunk of Rolf is bitten out of his midsection, and you're like, what the hell what happened? happened here? <laughs> um, but it's it's kind of like a like a journey, like a road trip movie. It's like a noodle movie. incident there. Yeah, it's, it's a great road trip movie um that that digs into those like really stretches those character interactions yeah yeah i i found the animation and voices cloying at times in that particular movie i think mm-hmm. the and the the voice of double d had changed which uh i was not welcome for but uh you know it, it is good overall and it gives us eddie's brother so i i agree that it is useful if not as enjoyable as i think the show was i too fear change <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we got to wrap this up because otherwise we're just going to go on talking about how much we love Ed and Eddie forever. Yeah. So let's 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 go into wrap up. Um, go watch it. Go watch those episodes. Uh, yeah. Go go check out Jeremiah at. Can you remind me what his uh, his Twitter handle is? Uh, double checking. Cut this out. His Twitter handle is at Paragon Postcards, all one word. Very good. Yeah, and you know, thanks so much, Jeremiah, for inviting us to do this episode and, again because yeah. it has so much good stuff we're very sorry you couldn't make it on but please come on at, at a later date for a different show that you feel strongly about because we want to talk yeah uh ben yes what are we going to watch next time what could possibly top at Eddie? well i i recently got a uh i got an email through our contact page at fancy fancybat.com um one Alexander asked us to look at a few different shows. For the first, uh, for, for the next episode that we're going to do, we're going to take one of these episodes. We're going to look at Oban, Oban, Oban Star Racers. Okay, so this is a racing anime. As I understand it, yes, um, it is. Uh, I think it's a Canadian thing as well. Hang on, let me let me let me look to make sure because I I looked up each of these before and I knew one of them was an anime, but I don't remember which one.
Well, thank you to Alexander for your suggestion and for listening and supporting us um, with your with your listening. We appreciate it. Yes, it's a French-Japanese anime series. And I would especially like to thank you. I, I would especially like to thank you for um, recommending a racing anime so that we can put off Speed Racer for another few years. <laughs> another 50 episodes. Yeah, because I don't want to watch that. I absolutely want to watch Speed Racer. And that's why I needed an excuse not to. So. I, was talking, I was talking to someone the other day, and I, I very much thought that Snidely Whiplash was a, the villain from Speed Racer. Oh, no. He was, but apparently, uh, he's from Dudley Do-Right. Right, which is a, a sub-sketch show from Rocky and Bullwinkle. Rocky and Bullwinkle, yeah, that's right. Uh, in any case, we're going to watch Oban Star Racers next. Yeah, fantastic. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It has a pretty good reputation, and I've never heard of it before, and that makes for a potent combination that I think is going to be fun to talk about. Yes. And Zane, what are we doing after that? After that, it is time for a movie, a bootlegged. Uh, and so what we are going to do is we are going to watch uh, an old classic film that no one really talks about anymore, uh, Balto. I remember seeing commercials for this when I was a youth. Uh, a ute? I was a ute. Um, but a, I, I, don't, I don't remember how it was received by my peers at the time. And it does not seem to have evolved or adapted in any way since then, except for maybe a couple sequel movies. So I'm... I want to check out old Disney movies that I have never seen before that ha- don't have a negative reputation, but maybe just didn't make the big leagues. So mm-hmm. we'll see how that goes. I- I'm excited to I'm excited to do that as well. Yeah, should be good. And uh, listener, I'm not going to go watch the Balto sequels. So if you want us to look at that or look at a synopsis and compare and contrast, you know, uh, you know, hit hit us up with that because I will not want to do it on my own. Yeah, if you have anything to say about Oban Star Racers or about Balto in general as a franchise, what you can do, you can go to our Facebook page, you can go to our website, fancybat.com, to check out our podcasts. Um, If you leave a comment, as you just have heard, we actually do have a contact page now, and you can send us an email with suggestions, with uh, general commentary, with whatever you think we want to hear, want to hear. And so you can also go to uh, your podcast catcher of choice and give us a rating or review on apple podcasts or whatever else so that other people know well what to expect and uh what they you know uh if if they would enjoy us and uh more than anything else just tell your friends about the show yeah because when you stub your toe and it hurts you know friends Friends are there there to help you help you yes just as my old nana said when she was uh picking beets uh (laughs) underneath the uh underneath the pantry of destiny gravy you there Eel woman, raise the jug! Slay me the song of Rose Village! Folk songs, folk songs. That's my horse? I can't dance, Rolf. That's my horse! Keep it up for Rolf! That's my horse? Yes, that's my horse! I like this song.